I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. On your mark. Get set. Welcome to now playing Fast and Furious Retrospective Series. It's gonna be an all-time of the night. Bet you're gonna enjoy this. Hosted by Arnie. Look, man, I don't just think outside the box. I tear it up. It's my thing. Stuart. You're the last person in the world I expected to show up. And Jacob. Like it or not, you and your friends are a part of it now. I don't have friends. I got family. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, harsh language, and incentive to drive beyond the posted speed limit. I'm going to enjoy what happens next. Listener discretion is advised. Only live once. Let's do it. Talking over the race. Today we're discussing Fast 10. Get it? Fasten? Like seatbelts? Fasten? They didn't They didn't do that. They should have done that. Yeah, they're actually calling this movie Fast 10, not Fast X. It's just a Roman numeral 10. Starring Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson. I'm going to take a nap while you read this cast list off. Chris Ludacris Bridges, John Cena, Nathalie Emanuel, Jordana Brewster, Sung Kang, Scott Eastwood, Daniela Melchior, Alan Richson, with Helen Mirren, with Brie Larson, with Rena Moretto, and Jason Statham, and Jason Momoa, and Charlize Theron. So many propositional phrases in this cast list. If there's that many withs and ands, does it actually mean anything anymore? Directed by Louis Leterrier. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and if it violates the laws of God or gravity, I've done it. Twice. And Stuart. And this is the co-host whose only knowledge of Rome is Roman noodles. Jacob. <laughs> I don't know what the joke is. Does he think they're called Roman noodles? Is it a pun on the name? I don't even know what's going on in this franchise anymore. Roman noodles is spaghetti, just FYI, but yes. <laughs> I think it's a pun on ramen noodles. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with Rome. Like, yeah, you could go deep or you could just roll out and <laughs> maybe that's my review. So welcome back to the Fast and Furious franchise. Been two years since F9. I have to say, this series has such continuity. I had to go back. I had to remind myself, who the hell is John Cena in this? I was afraid. I was afraid Cardi B was coming back. Why would you be afraid of that? Because who the hell was Cardi B? Best part of F9? She was. <laughs> hey, 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 everybody, I got my nails done. Here's a gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. I had to rewatch. I know Fast Furious 1 through 5 like the back of my hand. I could drive that route without ways. But six through nine got hazy for me. I knew Charlize was back. I knew John Cena was back. I had to go down the course there and rewatch those to prep for this one. And kind of glad I did. I did as well. And I said I never would. I swore that I would never rewatch a Fast and Furious movie. 
I'm just going to go ahead and say this summer, we're looking at a lot of franchises that are coming back after long lags and yeah, fast. I couldn't have told you much about any of them. Are you going to watch all the Transformers movies again then? Yeah, I'm doing it all. Transformers, Indiana Jones, whatever we're doing, I'm going back. Oof. Mission Impossible, all of those? Yep. That's the plan, anyway. We'll see if I survive. But it starts here with Fast 10. There have been 10 previous movies. So yeah, even Hobbs and Shaw, the forgotten one, I feel like I went back and watched them all. A day at a time. You have to break it up. And I refused to go back. Unlike you, Stuart, I'm not breaking my promise of not rewatching these films. I had forgotten that we had a post-COVID film. I thought, oh, this is the first Fast film since COVID, since Hobbs and Shaw. No, there was part nine. I had totally forgotten about that one. I had to really grind my brain to think, oh yeah, John Cena was there. Cardi B was there. Like, what was the plot? I don't know. Uh, Brothers something, family, family, family. But yeah, I went into this one just going off of whatever knowledge I had. Like, whatever scene I had seen in a previous movie, they were going to take some character that was just off camera and, like, introduce him to this one. I'm like, they'll explain it to me in the film. How could you forget that there was a post-COVID Fast and Furious film? The memes overtook our Facebook group for, like, a month. (laughs) Yeah, it it all came back. It's traumatic. Maybe that's why it blocked out all those memes. (laughs) And let's just call it what it is. This thing has been going now for... Over 20 years. It's a little long in the tooth, right? What's crazy is this franchise started when VHS tapes were still a thing because that's what they were stealing. VHS DVD combos. And now DVDs aren't even a thing. Like now it's all digital. Like the amount of technological advances that have taken place during this franchise is amazing. Yeah, it has been at least a generation now raised on these films. And yeah, I don't know that... Like, long enough distance that would you go back to a film from 2001? Some may not. Again, you're going to have to attract new audiences, ones that are not willing to explore your roots. Wasn't this the movie to bring it all to an end? What confused me was, my memory was, this was the last one. Vin Diesel promised us this is the big blowout. I always heard that this was a duology, and then I guess it got expanded at some point to a trilogy. Yeah, and ever since 2020, it was announced that there would be a two-part finale, 10 and 11. So you're remembering that there was a finale, and the trailers kind of hinted this is the finale because they'd say, like, the beginning of the end or something like that, or the end begins. And so you could be fooled into thinking that this would be the last one. But ever since 2020, they've said that there were going to be a two-part finale, I mean, like Harry Potter, like Hunger Games, like Twilight. There's just too much story to fit into one movie in the finale. Too much family. But now, it just came out very recently that Universal wants it actually to be a three-part finale. So we'd be ending at Fast 12. So this thing's doing well at the box office? It's hard to say, because I found this shocking. This is the eighth most expensive film ever made. This one? I'm not shocked. It's got a cast of 40. Yeah, the cast took 100 million of a $340 million budget, 20 of which went to Vin Diesel just for acting, and I guess he probably got more for his producer. Did you guys notice Vin had been on a quest to get that PGA initials after his name? He finally got the PGA initials. Good for Vin. He is now an official producer in the guild. 
for the series, but eighth most expensive film ever made needs a worldwide gross of at least $850 million to be profitable. So, you know, is it a hit? It's going to do well, as the numbers I'm hearing for the weekend are not the best for Fast and Furious, post-COVID still kind of taking a hit on it, but it's going to do probably $70, $80 million. Oof. Okay. Not break 100. Not in the States the first weekend. Yeah, that's shocking. That's not good. And I will just say it's reflective of my audience. Now, admittedly, I went to this thing on a Thursday afternoon, 3.30, but school's out by that time, and this primary audience is supposed to be young men, right? There were two other guys, also alone, one with their shoes off, sitting with their feet up over the chair in the entire theater. I was shocked. Was it Jason Momoa? Was he painting his nails during the film? <laughs> Were they taped up? Were they dead? Were there flies <laughs> landing on their eyes? The audience felt dead. I was shocked. I was like, did I come at the wrong time? Did something get changed? No, I basically had a private screening for this movie. Yeah, I mean, you went at 3.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> you may have gone at the wrong time. I went 7 p.m. on Thursday night, and I'd say probably a half-pack theater, very engaged audience. I could tell what they thought was funny. But yeah, a younger crowd there. I went twice. I had to drive this course twice to fully appreciate it. It's a very complex film. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went Thursday night at 7 p.m. First of all, can I give a shout out to Marcus Theaters? They had the best swag I have gotten. Free baseball caps. And I'm not talking cheap caps. These were nice, quality, fast X black baseball caps. And people love them. We haven't had such a popular post on Insta for years as these fast X baseball caps, but I never saw anyone else post about them. But for going that night, we got these swag of caps, strong recommend for the caps, but I only took three pages of notes and I didn't feel like that was really enough. So I went back Friday night at seven o'clock and both times theaters packed. The Friday audience was far more engaged than the Thursday audience though. The Friday audience was really vocal and definitely into the movie. The Thursday audience I couldn't get a read on. All over the place as far as diversity, men, women, old people, children. I think that the fast films hit all four quadrants. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's going to need to. My sense was that this thing needed to end. Okay, yes, I wanted it to end. (laughs) It needed to end. And that this was going to be the end. So, yeah, this was a confusing screening for me. When we end on a cliffhanger... When the sense was that this is only, the game has just begun as it's pitched, I was a little surprised and thinking maybe the audience has left it behind. It feels like they need to hurry up before they lose interest. But you're telling me that there were still enthusiastic audiences just waiting to go at a dinner hour. Oh, for sure. And yes, a huge cast, not only the cast that we've seen build over the 10 previous films, But they are bringing in new components as well. I think I knew about Jason Momoa. I think I had heard about Rita Moreno (laughs) as well. Brie Larson, maybe I just assumed she was just doing Nissan ads, but she's in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I remember seeing her in a trailer and I'm like, really? She's in this franchise now. Mm -hmm. I guess Marvel's not working out. (laughs) I read an interview and she said she was hesitant because of Marvel to join another franchise. But she'd been wanting in the Fast and Furious franchise since before she was Captain Marvel. (laughs) This hurt me. She goes, to be in a franchise I grew up with is such a dream. (laughs) And I'm like, ouch, you really are young. (laughs) 
And worth pointing out, the director is new to the franchise. It's not Justin Lin, who has done at least half of these films. His name is on the script. But this is being directed by Louis Leterrier, who has been in the action game for almost as long as Fast and Furious movies have been made. Come on, Stuart. I know you were in on the series, but you've watched those Transporter films, haven't you? At least the first two that he did. I saw the first one. Oh, that's actually a surprise. <laughs> I saw the Incredible Hulk movie that he made. That's Ed Norton as well. Oof, yeah. Yeah, I know you two don't like it. I like that film. But I was happy to see some new blood come in. Justin Lin leaving, though, was ominous because he started directing this. And then after a week, he left due to quote-unquote creative differences and all the scuttlebutt was that Vin was the problem. And even now, they call Vin a very hands-on producer. One insider said Vin is both the best and worst thing for this franchise. He's very much a perfectionist, very much getting his hands dirty with all the action scenes and choreography. But the rumors were, and some online photos, now maybe they were doctored, but the rumors were he wasn't showing up on set. When he did show up, he was really out of shape. I don't know if you guys saw those photos from around the time Fast 10 started shooting, but they were not flattering photos. They made Vin look like he hadn't gone to the gym in years. And when he did show up, he wouldn't know his lines. And of course, we all know The Rock quit the franchise because of him. So when Justin Lin, who had made so many movies with Vin, was like, I cannot do it anymore... That was worrisome, and they filmed for a week without a director, and then Louis Leterrier came in. <laughs> I feel this whole movie was filmed without a director, but we'll talk about that when we get into it. Yeah, and I thought maybe they wanted to get rid of Justin Lin after F9, which I think, for most people, is considered the low point of the franchise. Like, that last movie jumped several sharks and went into outer space. It jumped all the sharks on Earth to get there. But that's part of the fun. That's like the only thing I could respect about it is it realized it was such a ludicrous franchise in more ways than one that <laughs> it was going to go to space. That was the final frontier for this franchise to conquer. It had jumped buildings. It had jumped continents. It might as well jump planets. Yeah, I, I saw people making jokes wanting dinosaurs in this one. Like, where do you go? Don't get me wrong. I gave it a brown arrow. I recommend part nine. But if you actually like this franchise, I think it hurt, right? That one particularly just felt extra stupid in a way that was kind of indefensible. So will this be a course correction? That's what I assumed by having this new director. They were trying to get somebody who was going to be able to stop it from going whatever that line is. And God knows it's almost imperceptible. But going too far in this franchise is something they want to avoid. Leterrier did say he wanted to make this more grounded, kind of go back to earlier films. I think I see what he was talking about there. But no, it was not an intentional shift by bringing in this new director. Leterrier was literally who they could get. <laughs> yeah, more grounded. I don't think you bring in the director of the Transporter films if you want more grounded. I guess they figured he had worked with... Statham, who's also among this cast somewhere in here. Barely. Yeah. Not enough. Well, let's get into it then. We got a lot of ground to cover. Arnie, tell them what's in Fast 10, Fast X, and we'll find out where it ranks. We got a lot of ground to cover, but we're only going to do it a quarter mile at a time. Oh, we're going to be here forever then. <laughs>
Ten years ago, Dominic Toretto pulled a major heist in Rio, robbing drug lord Hernan Reyes. Reyes was killed in the escapade. Now Reyes's son Dante, played by Jason Momoa, wants revenge. He starts by framing Dom and his crew, making it look like they were guilty of setting off a major bomb in Rome. This makes Dom and his crew international fugitives, again. They're even being hunted by the mysterious agency who they've worked for the past few films. Not helping is that their champion at the agency, Kurt Russell's character Mr. Nobody, has gone missing. The new head of the agency is Ames, played by Alan Richson, who really has a hard-on to see Dom and his crew taken down. Dom's only supporter seems to be Mr. Nobody's daughter, Tess, played by Brie Larson, though Tess is pretty ineffective in her attempts to help Dom and his crew throughout this whole film. Now Dom and his entire extended family are on the run from Dante. Sent to protect Dom and Letty's son, B, is Dom's brother, Jacob, played by John Cena. Jacob takes little B to Portugal, chased the entire way by Dante's henchmen. Dom's crew of Roman, Tej, Ramsey, and Han escape to London, but are hunted by Dante's men and the authorities. They end up turning to an unlikely source for support, Deckard Shaw, again played by Jason Statham. But Shaw doesn't stick around when he discovers Dante is hunting anyone who's ever helped Dom and his crew, and that includes Shaw's own mother, played by Helen Mirren. Letty is captured while in Rome and taken to an agency prison in Antarctica. There, she's holed up with old enemy Cypher, played by Charlize Theron. Making a temporary truce, Cypher and Letty manage to escape the facility, where they're picked up by... Giselle? Played by Gal Gadot, who died in the sixth movie in the series, but is somehow now driving a submarine in Antarctica? What? As for Dom himself, he's been pretty much on his own, facing off against Dante, be it at a street race in Rio or a car chase in Portugal. There, Dom is almost captured by Ames when Dante attacks. It's revealed Ames has been working with Dante all along to capture or kill Dom and his family. Dom is reunited with his brother Jacob and his son Little B during the Portugal chase, but to help Dom and B escape, Jacob seems to sacrifice himself to take out some of Dante's goons, but I don't believe that at all because nobody dies in this f***ing franchise. You didn't even get into Pete Davidson and his marijuana muffins. <laughs> A car chase happens with Dom and his son trying to escape Dante. Dom drives to a large dam, and it turns out Dante has Dom in a trap. The dam is filled with explosives. A plane carrying Tej, Roman, Han, and Ramsey comes to Dom's aid, but the plane is shot down by Ames. They're all seemingly dead, but again, no one dies in this effing franchise, so they'll all be back next movie, I'm sure. And Dante sets off the explosives on the dam. It seems Dom and Little B are doomed. As credits roll to a scene showing things aren't going so good for Dwayne Johnson's career <laughs> as he's somehow been coerced into returning into the Fast and Furious franchise. Biggest shock of the film. Well, his character of Hobbs is the one who actually put the bullets in Hernan Reyes's head, and now Dante has set his sights on Hobbs for revenge, and the rest of the credits roll. <sighs> Where to begin? I guess we'll begin with the movie that everyone likes the best, Fast Five, right? They know they need to go back to something that is unassailable in this franchise. Fast Five is my favorite. I imagine you guys feel the same. Yeah. It is definitely my favorite. It's the whole reason we have a Fast and Furious retrospective series. Let me tell you, it wasn't Tokyo Drift saying we have to cover this continuity. What are you talking about? Don't diss Tokyo Drift. That's the second best one. Oh, yeah. It's definitely in the top four for me. But it was Fast Five that made this a favorite franchise of mine. It wasn't any of the earlier films, and Fast Five is still tops. 
Yeah, and I feel this is a popular move anymore. Like, Endgame did this, right? Like, you go back and relive your glory days again. You find a way to time travel that we're going to go back and find out that Jason Momoa was here in the chaos of the bank vaults being dragged down the street. This is no Endgame or Avengers move. This is what the Fast and Furious does. They did this with Tokyo Drift. Remember that movie that didn't matter and all of a sudden it's like the linchpin of this franchise with Shaw and with Han? They retconned all of this. Going into this, so took my wife to this one. She was excited to see this, which is weird because she's only seen one Fast and Furious film and that was Hobbs and Shaw. Maybe that's why she's like, I really want to see this because she loved Hobbs and Shaw, but she'd never seen a Fast and Furious film. So I'm like, do I need to fill you in like in all the lore that I could at least remember to catch you up? She's like, no, I'm sure they'll explain it. And they do like this movie stars. Hey, guys, we're going back to five. Like, remember that? This is what this franchise does. We could all be a bad guy in the Fast and Furious franchise. We're just off screen at all times. Yeah. And you know, it's 2011 because Momoa's got a man bun. And that was a thing back then. He's got a man butt in this whole film, doesn't he? I don't know what Memo is doing in this. No, only in that scene. Yeah, he has like bunny ears at one point. Well, yeah, that's not a man butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is nice to go back to Fast Five here. The best chase. We're seeing Paul Walker again. They're using archival footage from Fast Five to remind us that Brian is still alive in this franchise. Again, just off screen. I cannot believe, like, they keep reminding us that he's alive because there is no reason for him not to be showing up at this point. But I was wondering, did they deep fake anything or this was just all archival footage from the original part five? It's a mix, right? It's new footage with the old footage and then sometimes composite footage. But Paul Walker specifically, that's all archival. As far as I could tell. I'm not sure. I did hear that they talked to the family, though, to make sure anything done had the family's approval. And they're talking about, Vin just keeps saying, you can't end the Fast and the Furious franchise without paying homage to Paul Walker by bringing him back again through CGI. I thought this was all archival footage, though. I thought 100% of this was from Fast Five, where we're seeing Paul. Yeah, and it's not his moment. The moment really is, again, it's reframed that Dante was there, that he loved his dad, that his dad is apparently been there, even though he's bounced between juvenile detention, prison, and mental wards. His dad has always been in his life, and it's so traumatic to know that his dad gets executed on this bridge while he gets knocked into the water. Yeah, you set someone up as a complete psychopath that's going to be talking to corpses later on that he's taped to be smiling at him or something, but he cares about his daddy. I'm sorry, this is The Fast and the Furious. It is all about family, even if you're a psychopath. Yeah, the very first lines in this movie, I noticed the second time, is about fathers and their relationships with their son. And this entire movie is going to crux on Dom and his son B and Dante and what Dom did to his father. There's the parallels going on there. Yeah, and that's the line they've always been driving is like all this nihilism and destruction and then ultra cheesy. When we, I mean, let's just get to it. The next scene, what they juxtapose with this action is Dom doing wheelies in a parking lot with Little B. Those are donuts, not wheelies. Come on, Stuart, get your drifting terms right. <laughs> oh, sure, right. How old is Little B in this movie? Because they- s 10. Well, it can't be 10. Wasn't he just a little baby like a movie ago or a couple movies ago? He was born in Fast 8. He was not born in Fast 8. Elena met Dom and was a thing 
10 years ago, and Elena had that child. But he was a baby in Fast 8 when Jason Statham's getting him off that plane. He might have been an oversized five-year-old. No, he's not. (laughs) No, Stuart, he is not five in that movie. In fact, Elena and Dom broke up in Fast 6 when Letty came back, and then Elena said in 7, I believe it is, maybe 8, that she was going to tell Dom she was pregnant right as Letty came back. So the baby was born after Letty's return and then was a infant when Jason Statham and Owen Shaw were rescuing them from the plane. I believe that was definitely eight because it was Charlize Theron who executed Elena in eight. He was a toddler in nine. And now this kid looks 10 to 12 to me. No, he's not that. I mean, he could have been 10. He does not look like he's about to go in junior high. I guess he's five or six. I don't know. Don't ask me to guess the age of... I'm going to lose that jelly bean counter game. I don't know how old the kid is. I'm not going to pick this nit. Yeah, the kid's a kid still. And he's being taught to be a wrench. And he's going to be a part of the family. And we have a lot of cheesy lines as dad gives him driving lessons about not letting fear get to you. Fear can be a good teacher, et cetera, et cetera. When little B is like, Dad, you're not afraid of anything. I like leaned over to my wife and whispered, I'm afraid of losing my family. And yep, that line <laughs> is said almost word for word, like a few minutes later. Like, it's so predictable. It's a Kevin Bacon game, right? Like, you just throw a word out, and how many sentences does it take to get back to family? <laughs> you know, you could say anything. Tomato! <laughs> and within, like, two sentences, and that's with family tradition. You know, like, That's how this thing is written. If you had a drinking game where you took a shot every time they said family, you would die. (laughs) Yeah. And again, that is the cheesiness that is then mixed with this attitude of like, we don't care about human life. We drive over people in cars. And I mean, again, it's so bizarre how they pitch this. And you'll either find that hilarious or offensive, I suppose. What I find slightly, I don't know if I'd use the word offensive. But glaring is that you have this scene with Dom and his family, and they bring back Jordana Brewster as Dom's sister again, and everybody is there except for Paul Walker's Brian and their kids, and there's no explanation. They don't even bother with the lip service this time. In the other films, they always go like, well, Brian's with the kids over in Jamaica or something. Here, it's just gone. In part nine, didn't it end with them, like, waiting for Brian to pull up? They're like, he's here. And I'm like, I thought for sure, like, this is the time you kill him. When you have the guy going out and getting revenge, this has been such a glaring thing for the Fast and Furious, Paul Walker. Like, what is he doing? You refuse to kill him off. You refuse to send him away. He's, again, just off camera. But I was shocked that, yeah, Jordan and Brewster, his wife, or her character who plays his wife, is here. But nary a mention of his kids, where he is, anything. No, well, there's a weird moment. Rita Moreno is introduced as great-grandma, who's making great plantains, and that's basically her job. But she does have one scene where she goes into the garage, looks at photos of Brian, they play like a piano instrumental from (laughs) When I See You Again, and she's hugging Dom in a way that makes you feel like, oh, he died off camera. Kind of like how they handled Black Panther 2, of just like, oh, they're finally admitting that this character has passed. But then later, it is confusing. Dom will be like, he's just safely in hiding. We're protecting him. 
And yet this whole movie is about revenge for Fast Five, which as shown in the flashback was equally Dom and Brian. Dante should have equally as much hatred for Brian. And it's Vin's fault that Jordana Brewster's here. Apparently the first drafts of Fast 10 had no Jordana Brewster. And he's like, we're not making this film without Jordana. So if she feels shoehorned in here and then just disappears, it's because it was a quick rewrite just to give her something to do. You talk about that interaction with the grandma here, Stuart, and she gives this speech. It's like, yeah, this is for the younger people now. Are you setting up Fast and Furious kids like the Saturday morning cartoon? I know we don't have those anymore. Maybe it's a YouTube special or something. But I'm like, what is this speech setting up like the Disney Plus version of this franchise coming out? I can't believe you had the same thought I did. With Little B, I just thought Fast and Furious babies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they will have to do that eventually. This cast is aging. And if they want this to go on forever, and that is the tenor of her speech, that this is a legacy for generations, I believe is the quote, then at some point, yes, Little B will be leading a new crew. But we're not there yet. Again, we're trying to say goodbye to the old cast while setting up whatever comes next. And it's all hinging on this notion of fatherhood that Dom just can't shut up about. And not just about Little B, but he's also letting Roman free, that Roman is bragging that he's finally going to lead a mission. And does that mean spinoff? Or does that mean that it's just going to end up being this terrible flame out that causes everyone to run to Rome? Fast and Furious 2 shows that Tyrese Gibson cannot co-helm this franchise, let alone take it off on his own spinoff. There will not be a Roman film the way there was Hobbs and Shaw, I predict. This is all that the family is given to do. They are shuttled away in this. This opening is perhaps the biggest scene for the quote-unquote family, but unlike the previous Fast and Furious films, they're really going to split everybody up here, and it starts right at the beginning with sending Roman and Tej and Ramsey and Han, the foursome, to Rome on some mission to steal blah 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 computer chip. Yeah, which would normally be the plot of an entire Fast and Furious film it felt weird to see them as just like black ops government employees you're like oh we got our next mission let's like go get our supplies i never thought of them that way but i I guess that's what they are doing they're having their barbecues planning their next black ops mission and heading out it's been that way since six ever since six they've been international spies yes and that has been something that you either go with or like me choke on and i think this is what leterrier meant when he said making it more grounded is he's going to revoke their status. You know, they're going to become criminals again, or at least wanted people again, like they were in all the early movies. I mean, they were always wanted criminals, always on the run, always going international. But before we can talk about that, let's talk about, yeah, the person that gets that instigated, Cypher. Charlize Theron rolls up in a Lamborghini, bleeding from her side, and saying she saw the devil tonight as Dom is putting his son to bed. Question, before we get into this, is Letty pregnant with another child? He feels her stomach. I thought so. Yeah. I think what he says, and I was really paying attention the second viewing, is he's like, is anything in there yet? And she's like, it'll happen when it's time. So I think they're trying to have another baby. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Again, you got to populate a whole movie. You got to have all those kids racing cars soon so yeah she better get to work but anyway so but yeah charlie shows up 
and she tells this long-winded story about how she was hanging out in her server room, and Jason Momoa blows in. With Cypher, I couldn't believe they did this. Like, this is what they did with Shaw. He was a bad guy. He had a grudge against them. And then he became part of the team. And like, I see Cypher roll in. I'm like, okay, they're going to kill her character off. Too many characters. We got to start killing them off. No, like Jason Momoa by the end of this is going to be part of the team and a friend. That's just, I guess, a trope in this Fast and Furious film. But I couldn't believe they're doing it with Cypher now. Yeah, I mean, they did it with John Cena too. John Cena was the villain of Nine. And they're even going to make a joke about it. How like, Everybody gets into their car cult to just go to a barbecue. Yeah, don't fight Jason Momoa. He will be your friend in a couple movies. But how could you... Again, I'm just so shocked. Like, Jason Statham killed Han. Now they're going to undo that. But yet, how do you make him a hero? Charlie's Theron put a bullet in Elena's head. How can you possibly make her a good guy? And almost murdered little B. Yeah. How do you ever make her a good guy? But here... She's going to show up and Vin is going to growl because that's about all he does this whole movie is growl and say lines about how he wants to kill her and then invite her in, have her sit on the sofa, tell her story. So again, this is a serious question. Is this a problem or is this part of the enjoyment? You guys have had this conversation now, at least four movies they've done this. (laughs) Is it that outrageous or is it just par for the course? Do you want to see this, or do you wish they would stop doing this? Look, I think I want them to stop making Fast and Furious films. Still got a couple more to go, though. But at this point, it's just... You like outrageousness. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't buy into it like, oh, this is so real and serious. But I'm like, this is so stupid, but that's what this franchise does. And so I just go along with the tropes because this is a dumb franchise that does dumb things. And I hate that they do such dumb things and that they keep doing the same things over and over. The two things that irk me and that just are dings against this movie and I can't get past them are A, the number of dead characters who they undo and bring back to life, and B, the number of seriously evil villains that become good friends in films. And I just laugh at that at this point. And here's the thing. Here's why I go with it with Cypher. Because Charlize Theron is good. She could do action. I felt like the last film, again, not going to rewatch it, but my hazy memory is she sat in a glass box. That whole film, she didn't get to do anything except have a bad haircut. Got a better haircut in this film, and she gets some action scenes. So like, okay, you're going to bring her back. You gave her something to do. So I like that. So that's why I'm willing to roll with it. I'm surprised because to me, Charlize is a star on her own who doesn't need to be and and in a Fast and Furious franchise. And the fact that she's back for her third round and presumably going to be in Fast 11 just surprised me. But to be clear, Arnie, you wish this series would keep making sequels, but stop making this move. Yeah, I wish that they would be, God, I hate to use this word with Fast and Furious, but a little more grounded. (laughs) Do you really wish, again, I find that outrageous, then you must not like any of the last several movies. Because they are built on this outrage. They thrive on it. It is the fuel of their engines that they make melodrama. F9 is the one I like least. Fate of the Furious, F8 is my second least favorite. I did like 7. 7 I liked a lot. And a lot of that had to do with the handling of Paul Walker. But no, the later movies after Fast 5 have not been as good. And I think it's because they play like telenovelas. Yes. That is the new formula. My wife whispered in my ear, this is a soap opera. Because it is. Yes. 
what's bizarre is, Arnie, you're the one that is resisting that the most. You want a plausible, realistic relationships between the characters. I want Fast Five. And Fast Five, you take away all stakes the way that they do it here. I agree with that. And like, I ain't worried about anyone in this franchise after this film. They're all living. But it's not this film. It's been since six. I do feel like this one really does push it. Yeah, there are those tropes that have been building five, six, seven, eight, nine. But like this one, maybe you could say they just embraced them all finally and ran with it. Or maybe they're totally clueless and not self-aware about what this franchise does. But at this point, they've gone so far, like I've bought in, I've accepted, or maybe I've rolled out and I'm just going with it. But it's not a problem for me. I get past it. Here's the thing. It's not going to ruin the movie for me. I'm not going to fold my arms and be like, not again. I'm done with this movie. Not recommend 20 minutes in because Charlie's Theron is now not such an enemy. I'm not going to do that. But it makes me roll my eyes so hard that I have to take some Tylenol from Ocular Strain. And rolling your eyes is a part of the series. Again, if you haven't been rolling your eyes, you haven't been paying attention to these plots. This is the thing. This is what I've been stressing all along. You guys are like, this got stupid. This was always stupid. (laughs) It was always stupid. Really stupid. First movie, super stupid. It has always been bad. I just want that acknowledged. And now you can laugh about that. That they're giving permission for you to laugh at it. And that's why I recommended F9, which I don't think you could ever go bigger than F9. F9 was an FU to anyone that thought this was a serious (laughs) franchise. Yeah, like I've said, I'm never rewatching these films again. I, I understand they're stupid. To make entertaining stupid, you got to hit the right spot. And I, I feel like, yeah, they finally figured that out. They had a couple dips with eight and nine, but they're kind of back with good stupidity in this film. Okay, so you see this as a course correction from the last couple. For sure. Okay, I, I'm going to agree with that. I totally agree with that because, again, eight and nine are the ones I like absolutely least. Over two? Yeah. You didn't go back and watch Too Fast, Too Furious then. Listen, I ranked them all when I did my last rewatch, which I did before F9. I rewatched all eight and Hobbs and Shaw before nine. Too Fast, Too Furious is my third least favorite. Yeah, it's a terrible film. But Fate of the Furious and F9 are below it. Because they're stupid. They're stupid. There's just not a lot of fun to be had in them. There's so much fun in F9. They go to space, Arnie. (laughs) Han comes back from the dead. I mean, that's a scene. You get Cardi B, but like John Cena, who I liked as Peacemaker, who's had charisma in other films. He was dead weight in that film. Awful. Hilarious. We're supposed to believe that he and Dom look alike, that they're brothers. Yeah, like that movie is start to finish. Brown Arrow, hilarious. We're also supposed to believe Vin Diesel's taller than John Cena. (laughs) He's always standing on an apple crate that's just off screen. I know that. (laughs) All of that. Yeah. Again, like what I want to stress here is that there's a really fine line between good, stupid and bad, stupid. But stupid has always been in the passenger seat. Agreed. Maybe behind the wheel. It has always been in this franchise. It has always been driving it forward. So clarifying why this stupid works or not probably would be helpful going forward. Why this version of stupid is or isn't better than the last stupid is the way I'm going to try to frame this. It all comes down to me for am I having fun and do I like the characters? And I really dislike John Cena in the last one, as Jacob pointed out. He was no fun as the villain. The whole retconning of the father thing in that one I didn't like. Here, 
Charlize Theron, I like as an actress. I really do. And I think her scene here, her face off with Dante in the lab is a fun scene. Boy, though, I, you don't get it in the flashback scenes in part five. But starting right here, if you want to talk about fun, Jason Momoa, you are my hero of this film. You are absolutely my favorite thing about this entire goddamn movie. <laughs> I mean, that shirt that's got like one button done at the very bottom, high-waisted, wide-leg pants, like tight is the fashion these days. He's going the opposite here. He's fashion forward, actually. He's leading it. We'll all be dressing like this in a year. We're all going to be dressing like Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean, because that's what I kept thinking he looked like. This is why I wonder, was there a director on set? I, I feel like so many decisions in these films are just like the actors, like, yeah, I want to do this. We'll talk about Brie Larson. We'll talk about John Cena. But Jason Momoa, like, I think he just said, yeah, I want to do this. I'm going to do it. You can't stop me. Leterrier fed into that, but this is all Jason Momoa. He said, I want to play against type. I'm tired of playing you know, Game of Thrones, Aquaman, I'm tired of playing the super serious man's man. He wanted to be the anti-Vin Diesel. He wanted to be flamboyant and everything that Vin is not. And he nailed it because Vin Diesel in this film is a charismatic black hole. I hate every scene he is in. He's way too serious. I'm so glad Jason Momoa is doing the opposite. He's not doing John Cena from the last film. He is camping it up and... Oh my God, does it save this film? It really does. It is completely the saving grace. And it starts right here at the beginning when he just saunters into Cypher's office and has masterminded a plot to get every single henchman on his side by kidnapping their family. Always about family. <laughs> and getting them to turn on Cypher so that he can steal. Is it God's eye? I don't even know what tech he needed to steal from Cypher. No, because Brie Larson steals God's Eye later. I don't know. Maybe there's multiples. Yeah, I don't think it's God's Eye. I don't even think he needs it. I just think that he needs attention, <laughs> and this was a way to get it. And so what he said in motion is that Cypher's going to now run to Dom and tell Dom that everyone in his family is going to be targeted. This is the problem when you would like Javier Bardem's villain character in James Bond or Heath Ledger's Joker. Like... I have masterminded everything, even when you think you are winning against me, I actually planned that. So this whole fight, he knew Cypher would win and go to Dom? Yeah. Again, we've scoffed at that trope in many a franchise. And does it matter when the franchise has acknowledged it's stupid? Is doing something stupid in a stupid franchise <laughs> admirable or deplorable? I'll be a little less kind to Jason Momoa than you guys are. I feel like sometimes he's Jack Nicholson's Joker. And sometimes he's Tommy Lee Jones Two-Face. Like, sometimes the <laughs> camping is a little overbearing. Wouldn't that just make him Cesar Romero? Mm, sometimes it's a little bit too much, a too movie-ish, a little too familiar. I feel like I've seen it a lot. On my second viewing, especially when he's talking to the dead people, I got a lot of Jack Nicholson Joker. I never once thought of Heath Ledger Joker, but I thought of Jack Nicholson Joker. I'm just talking about his plot was Heath Ledger Joker. But yes, his performance is Jack Nicholson, Cesar Romero, Tommy Lee Jones. You could go with all those. Even maybe a little Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze. Yes, exactly. And that is a variance in quality that, again, sometimes it's an aid of this movie. And sometimes I'm just like, you are in your own movie, and you're right. It's like watching nine movies all at once, and you know your attention is zapped between them. Which one is the most interesting? 
sometimes it is him. I'll give you that. He is probably the best new thing that's offered here, but I will offer this. I don't think that it is about the shiny new things. Rita Moreno, Brie Larson, this guy. (laughs) What was Rita Moreno even doing here? She never comes back. Well, again, to have an Oscar-winning actress be the grandma shows the aspirations, at least, of Vin Diesel. And, you know, she's all heart. But, yeah, I feel like if you're going to like this, it's about seeing your old favorites. And I don't know, I, Charlize, I like her too, but she never really felt integrated into this crew. I don't even feel like, again, she's bleeding out on their couch. They don't get her medical attention. She talks all night. They don't pick her up till the next day. <laughs> yeah, I do like the line, little nobody shows up, Scott Eastwood, and says, most people die after four liters of blood are lost. She lost six, and you gotta blame Dom and Letty for that. They were just letting her bleed out. Yeah, I don't feel like she's a real force in this movie. Uh, you know, she has one good scene later. We'll talk about it, but... She's part of the girl team that this is building. Yes, I guess so. But in the end, yeah, Scott Eastwood, I feel like there are characters that matter and characters that don't. If they weren't in the first five films, they don't matter that much. Yeah, and. Scott Eastwood comes in just to basically drop a line that what's going on in Rome is a setup. It's not an agency mission. That's going to bring everybody to Rome. But Scott Eastwood is going to jump out of a car in Rome and jump out of this movie. What the hell happens to him? I thought you could tell me having seen it twice. It appears that he just got injured, but he didn't die, right? They act like he's dead. What's weird, they're going to replace have an analog for like every character they already had little nobody to replace mr nobody who's i guess still missing that's still a mystery and then they're going to replace little nobody with miss nobody i'm like does that mean he's dead i thought he jumped out of the car and he's just fine what is said is that he's out of commission so i don't think he's dead i don't think anybody dies in this franchise but they needed to write him out the same as jordana brewster and they do so very clumsily (laughs) He definitely gets lost, and because he is a later character, I don't think anyone minds. No one likes Scott Eastwood, so it's not a big deal. But Tej, Roman, Han, these are the people that we're rooting for as they go about this whatever plot of... I mean, they need a gold Lamborghini. This is a Fast and Furious film. Yeah, and there's like a bobblehead on a (laughs) remote control car releasing knockout gas. Great plan, by the way. Knock out the driver's... And then have people jump on the roof and try to get inside to drive it. This thing would have already crashed, but, you know, it's a Roman plot, so you can accept it as flawed from the inception. (laughs) But Vin says he's secretly guiding this whole thing. He's like, I'm still really in charge. No, he says he's hands off. That's why he doesn't even go to Rome. He's saying it as a father. I'm giving permission for Roman to do this. Again, he sees himself very much as the father figure and that Roman is his child is the way I took it. But yeah, he's not aware of this, and now he's running to Rome to try and rescue them, because, yes, once they get inside that truck and think they're in control, the doors lock, Jason Momoa is controlling it by remote, and there's a giant circular bomb in the back. Yeah, they mentioned it's a nautical mine, which explains why it looks how it does, is it's one of those underwater bombs, and it's going to, of course roll out of the truck and be like the boulder from Indiana Jones going through the streets of Rome. Oh, I thought it felt like, and and Jason Momoa is going to say this later on, it felt like a, we're just using a different geometric shape, but we're going to do that climax of part five again. Instead of a a cube safe, 
we're going to have a spherical bomb rolling around town. Yeah, there's definitely a callback in all of this in that, yes, it's somewhat built into the design of it's going to roll onto a bridge just like that final fight that killed my daddy was on a bridge. That seems to be some of the design, but yeah, it also, we haven't been to Rome. In fact, I think this series hasn't spent too much time in Europe, maybe in the last couple they have, but this feels like a fresh place to have a car chase. I've not been to Rome. I don't know if their streets are good for car chases or not. They do mention that Han's little nimble car is going to be better than the faster Lamborghini, so I guess there's a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, and tight, you know, brick streets and all that. You see it as this thing. Yeah, I've seen the Bourne films. I I know what those roads are like. They're going to drive down staircases, through fountains, all of this kind of stuff. It looks good. I want to say that if you were here for mindless action, whatever's happening in the melodrama that might irritate you, this is a good scene. Yeah, I agree. For the most part, I'm engaged with this chase. It goes on for a long time, but it's, again, what are you going to do in an F&F film? Like, you got to go to space. You got to think of all the different vehicles. It feels like they've more or less done everything. So I'm impressed that they could still have an engaging chase when when I've seen them literally jump over the earth at this point. Yeah, they ro- the bomb rolls over a gas. Do they have gas pumps just on the sidewalk like that? Yeah, they're just there. You can they're mostly for cyclists, for scooters and such. And it just rolls over that. Now it's flaming and on fire. And I did laugh at that point again because Dom he he's just saving everyone. He's gonna run into that overhang and knock it down to save those people from that explosion as it hit the gas pipe. Like it is. So over the top and dumb and ridiculous. We've had this conversation. I guess that's why you watch a Fast and Furious film. But sometimes, look, he's going to hit a round bomb with a crane that he uses as a baseball bat that he hits with his car. It's better than when he jumped off a cliff and somehow hooked his car onto a hook to Tarzan swing. (laughs) Yes, it made me think of that very specifically. When I watched this movie the first time, I walked out and went, There really weren't enough car set pieces the way they had in the previous films. It feels like there's a long gap of this movie without car chases. They choose to do more traditional action scenes. But then when watching it the second time, I went, oh, yeah, he does jump his car into a crane. So there is some of that. (laughs) Yeah, I agree that it does feel reduced in part because of the bloat of this cast and the storylines. You couldn't have every scene be a car chase, but they give you enough in the car chases that are given that I think, I'm assuming, because I'm not one of them, but fans of this series should be very happy to see this sequence of a flaming ball rolling through Rome. It looks real, looks photorealistic, there's good stunts, Letty even has a moment jumping a lantern that's fallen down on her bike. I don't know how she got caught by the cops when she's pulling moves like that. Yeah. It looked good. I mean, I just want to say if that's your standard, and it probably should be, not the plot, then this one's, yes, working better, I feel, than the last couple. I am okay with this action. I like the motorcycle stuff a bit more than I like Dom's stuff. I'll be honest, though, anything Vin Diesel related is my least favorite stuff in this movie. It's awful. Everything is bad with Vin Diesel. That includes any of the car chases. I do love that no matter where he goes in the world, he's able to find a Dodge Charger with no problem. (laughs) When did this happen? You were the biggest Vin Diesel fan. I know. It's this movie. This movie, it happened. This movie? You've liked him in everything until this movie. I didn't like much in F8 or F9, and this movie, he is bad in. I feel like some of the lines they give him, I'm like, is he doing another 
Tooth Fairy movie or Pacifier, whichever one he was the babysitter in. These are cheesy. I know it's about family, but his lines, his delivery, it's bad. He has no charisma, especially when they're taking all the chains off of everyone else in this film and letting them do whatever they want. He is just boring. Is he any worse than Stallone or Arnold or our generations of action heroes? He's about on par with Stallone, which isn't great. Arnold has charisma. Stallone does not. I think that's the difference for me. It really depends on the vehicle. Vin can be used well with his lack of charisma, like in the first Riddick film, Pitch Black. And I think he worked well in the early Fast and Furious films, but I think he's starting to take himself too seriously. You talk about how great the ridiculousness is. I don't think Vin thinks this franchise is ridiculous. I don't think he knows what movie he's in. And I think that that makes him not fun for me to watch. Okay, so some of this is meta. Some of this is, is I haven't liked what I've heard behind the scenes, the way that he looked. No, no. All of this is what's on screen. I mean, I don't see a big change between first movie and this movie, except he's now cuddling with babies. I mean, maybe this, the difference is, again, they're letting this cast be wild, outrageous, kind of do what they want. And he's this stiff just cold shoulder in this film. Well, the way you could frame that is he's the center of it all, the calm center to all this chaos. You can still have charisma, though. That's what my point is. Like, no charisma. When he's saying these cheesy lines, I'm not buying it. I don't want to hear it from him. I don't like him. He has no personality. Let me back up what you're saying, Jacob. I feel like this movie does not have a director in regards to directing the actors. No, it does not. They talked about how Louis Leterrier brought in his French crew, and I don't know that Louis Leterrier is great with the English language. I don't know that he's bad with it. I did listen to his commentaries. He's okay with it, but I don't think he directed these actors. I think these actors did what they wanted, and he worried about the stunts. He worried about the action. He's an action director, and so what we're getting is Jason Momoa doing what Jason Momoa wants to do, and I'm loving every minute of it, and you're getting Vin Diesel doing whatever Vin wants to do, and yeah, Momoa is the anti-Vin because I am having no fun watching Vin. God help me, but I'm going to defend Vin Diesel. <laughs> it's minimalist. Like, I feel like what he is doing is what the man with no name did, Eastwood or Stallone. Like, it's man of few words, gruff, almost no emotional variance. He's one thing, and it's this sort of calm in the middle of a storm. So in that way, I feel like you couldn't have him competing, right? He couldn't be bigger than the other people that are in this franchise. So to play down, to be minimal, you're saying that means that he has no charisma. I think it just means that he has a different energy than what other people are doing. You recognize in his scenes that it feels different. I'm hearing you say you don't like it, but that's strange to me. Yeah, Clint Eastwood perfected this kind of thing, this minimalism, where the man with no name has a ton of charm. Like, you want to go on his journey. You could do minimalism and still be likable. Vin cannot do that, though. Well, again, I don't want to... I'm not dying on this hill. But I will say that I feel like at this point, you have accepted what Vin does in this franchise if you've gone this down this road this far. Like, I don't know why now is the problem if it wasn't 20 years ago. Maybe it's tone of the movie. Maybe it's the fact that he is so different than everything else in the movie, that when we cut to his scenes, I said it. This franchise is all about fun. 
He is no fun. Yeah, if he showed up in Hobbs and Shaw, you would see this, and I feel like this is more Hobbs and Shaw than any Fast and Furious film. Like, they're going for comedy and outrageousness and lighthearted fun, and so it sticks out even more. I love the comedy when the bomb is going, and you've got those two... All of Dante's henchmen are hostages, basically, because he still has their families kidnapped, but he's talking to these two tech guys. He's like, what do you want to blow up? The Vatican? Okay, I'll do it, but you guys are going to go to hell. I mean, I am laughing out loud. My audience is laughing. He's so much fun right there. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of, I'm going to change so much to sort of. He's sort of fun to watch in a very familiar way of conceptualizing a villain. I'm also going to offer that this moment isn't all fun, that when the bomb actually goes off, it feels kind of serious. Like, he goes into a Christ pose. Buildings are crumbling, if not completely collapsing. I think that's supposed to be a stark moment. And yet, no one died. They're going to tell us no one died. I understand they got that bomb underwater, which made the blast less powerful. But yeah, buildings crumble. That blast is still huge. It's an impactful moment. I'm like, you guys pretty much failed this mission, but no one died. They saved everyone in Rome. Right. And not getting the credit for it because... Reasons. Why? This was... The most, yeah, rubbernecking, like, what is going on? Oh, now you're the villains? You've gone Ethan Hunt, Mission Impossible, where some mission went wrong, and you've been framed now, and you're on the run for the agency who hired you? Like, it doesn't smell right, and we'll find out they have reasons for it not smelling right later, but yeah, when this happens, I'm like, this makes no sense. Yes, well, I mean, it makes some sense. There's a lot of footage of them driving around with a flaming bomb. They're trying to stop it, obviously. Come on. We all know how the internet works and how media works. You can manipulate that image to look like they caused this problem. And for whatever reason, and this is, again, if you're buying into the concept that Dante is the puppet master that can do all, Dante has rigged it so that they look like criminals. You just have to go on that level. I mean, I'm not going to debate this intensely. Yes, it's stupid, as so much is. But that's the conception. They are now criminals, they cause Rome to burn, and so they, yeah, have to go scattered. And this is a wise thing to do. You want to have the family together at the beginning, and then scattered throughout the world on different missions. It would be boring if they were all together in the same vehicle. This franchise, for me, has been fun when it's gone to different locales and explored different things. Having these pockets of characters doing separate things, all trying to get to Portugal, is a wise strategy. I will agree in theory that it is a wise strategy. However, what I've liked in this franchise, and I think one of the things that I like about Vin Diesel in this franchise, is his interplay with his crew. The fact that they are all so silly, and they all bring different personalities. The oil and water mixture of this family is a lot of what I like about this, and by separating them the way they do, I think it just shows that they have nothing for Roman, Tej, Ramsey, and Han to do in this movie. They're going to cut to them a lot, and not very well balanced. You said it's like watching a bunch of different movies. I do feel like it's channel flipping. I don't feel like scenes echo each other when we're seeing what one character is doing to what another character is doing. It feels very choppy. Sure. They're not going to disagree with that. I'm not saying it's done expertly. I'm saying if you're going to have a two-parter and bloat this thing even more, then yes, give me some variations. 
should be said, there's one other new character that I didn't mention when I was naming all the new people that have joined. Jack Reacher version 2, Alan Richson, is here in sort of the Tommy Lee Jones role of the man that is going to bring these quote-unquote criminals to justice. They're the fugitives, and he's going to be the one in the agency now calling the shots to get them. Because they are either resurrecting or bringing an analog back for every character in this franchise, and where Ames goes, I'm like, oh, so this is the new Hobbs, this is who they're replacing The Rock with, like head of the agency that's going to team up with this band of rebels. I don't know who Alan Richson is. I thought, this dude is Jack, so I'm like, oh, okay, they got another wrestler or UFC guy. Apparently he's not that. He's just an actor that's jacked. He's a stuntman slash actor. We've seen him in Turtles movies. We haven't really seen him because he's mo-capped. But he's been a turtle. I think he's done some of those CW superhero stuff. Right now he's very pop. I would say more popular than Tom Cruise in the role of Jack Reacher. That has become a TV series. People really like his conception, which is closer to the novels. That's probably why he got the gig. Yeah, he really is... He doesn't like Vin's crew, which again, we're going to find out at the end that he'd been working with Dante the entire time, but he also doesn't seem to like people at the agency. He doesn't like the Mr. Nobody side of the agency, and Mr. Nobody's missing, and Little Nobody's out of commission, and he doesn't like Tess. We're going to get introduced to Brie Larson here, too. No one likes Brie Larson. That's fine. Yeah, (laughs) that makes me like him. But yes, he's uh, an antagonistic person that is, as all antagonists are in this franchise, probably going to be converted into the cult. He's the one that makes the line about this is an ever-growing cult of car fans. I think his astute summation of what this franchise does, I appreciated. And you talk about Brie Larson showing up here as, I guess Tess, I kept calling her Miss Nobody, but is this in response to, like, there is a lot of critical response to her portrayal is Miss Marvel, as this unhappy feminist that refuses to smile. She walks in with the most extreme stilettos that don't seem very femme, maybe a little femdom. But <laughs> I'm wondering how much, I guess she's having fun too. Everyone but Vince is having fun in this film, and I love her shoes that she's going to be wearing throughout. Oh my god, her shoes are the best, especially when she goes and visits Letty in prison. How do you walk on those things? I don't know. They're extreme. Those are impressive. I really, um, I admire women and their ability to walk in certain shoes. And Brie pulls it off here. And she's smiling in this movie. She's trying to be likable. She has very few scenes here. And I, yes, is it that, do we want her to be likable? No, we want her to have energy, right? And it's, yeah, that she is Kurt Russell's kid and more concerned with saving this family than finding her dad, a little bizarre. And with the age, couldn't she be Kurt Russell's grandkid? Yes. Maybe, but you know, the series is going to play loose with that kind of thing. Little B is a full-on racer at this point, at 10 years or 5 years old. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) But yes, the point is that she's going to go her own way, and what I think I hear is, there's only one God's eye, and she steals it and puts it in a makeup compact. So that Ames, the Alan Richson character, can't use it. Yeah, they've made a big deal of it. Can I call out this franchise? I want to say I appreciate the repeated use of God's Eye. I never thought that was going to be so important. Yeah, they created this as a MacGuffin in Part 7. And in every film since, they haven't forgotten they use it. Because 
like Star Trek. In one week, Jordy LaForge would create some neuron stabilizer that would fix the problem. And then the very next week, they forget that they have this neuron stabilizer that LaForge created the previous week. Well, here, they're going to remember, we have this super tracking device. We're going to use it every single movie because that's what you do. It is like the only piece of continuity that matters to them. Well, and it, because it was created by Ramsey. And so if they're going to keep Ramsey around, she has to keep reminding us this is her baby. She'll have some speech towards the end of this movie where she says, we have to destroy this monster. And I think she's talking about her creation. But because you can track anyone anywhere, you would think that Brie Larson wouldn't need help from Helen Mirren to find Dom. But because they have to find ways to work characters in, we have this scene with Dom and Queenie at the Coliseum where she says she's going to put feelers out and let people know that he's hanging out in a bar in Naples and that he's no Gregory Peck. I had to laugh at that. Did you guys get the Roman holiday reference? Oh, is that what it was? No, I didn't get it. Yes. <laughs> you got it, Arnie? You know what Roman holiday is? Yeah, I've never seen it, but I know what it is. I know what it is. I didn't know Gregory Peck was in it. All right. I was like, why are they making Audrey Hepburn movie <laughs> references? But yeah, that cracked me up. Helen Mirren doesn't get to drive a car, doesn't seem to be having much fun in this. Feels like an obligation for her to even be in this film for three minutes. The fact that she even agreed to be in this franchise, let alone keep coming back, is hysterical to me. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I mean, people need mortgage payments done. So you show up every <laughs> once in a while in the Fast and Furious film. You said that, but I really believed her in the press material she said where she like, I don't get offered this kind of stuff. You know, when I'm in a corset for most of my movies, to be able to come and like race cars is a real treat. They don't give her that here. Again, she's just here as a messenger to relay messages. Yeah, I think they also have her in here because we're going to find out later Dante is hunting her. And so she'll be a bigger part of F11. But Tess is going to go to Naples where she'll buy Dom a Belgian ale. I'm surprised he drinks it. I mean, after his Corona speech. But he does drink the ale and she gives him three wishes. I don't quite get why Tess is a genie, but the three wishes, one was to find out about Dante's background and Rio, and the other is to rescue Letty out of the black site prison she's trapped in. But she claims she can't do, but then Dom gives some of his cheesy lines of nothing is impossible. Have faith. And here's my crucifix. No, she says nobody can do it. And he goes, nobody would do it. Meaning Mr. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not as good as your dad. Again, fathers, the theme of this whole movie. Fathers. Fatherhood. And Stuart, you talk about faith. He pulls out that cross to give to her. This is a Fast and Furious film, so I wasn't expecting George Michael, but I thought maybe we get that Limp Bizkit cover at some point. This, <laughs> There's so much, not just family, but faith in this film. This has gone full evangelical at some point. Like, God is literally going to come down in the last film to save him. Or be Vin Diesel. <laughs> if Dante is the devil, then Dom must therefore be the Lord. <laughs> and later, Dante's going to say he saves the Vatican. Who does that? The Pope? And so they are making that illusion. I feel like it's there without actually being stated. And maybe that's your resentment, too, is that this guy has this ego and this God complex and is doing nothing but growling behind the wheel of a car. But anyway, yes, let's talk about 
there's a lot of storylines. I think it's helpful just to go storyline by storyline from this point. Yeah, because their intercutting makes no sense. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about what happened to Letty. She was the one that got caught in Rome. Everyone else slipped away in the sewer or, or drove off. But Letty was surrounded by cops. She was taken in by the agency. And now Tess can find her with her credentials and stage this. Well, again, she's setting in motion a way that she can break out by stabbing her. Help me out with this. Send them to the medical bay. That's always the escape plan in prison movies. Injure yourself, get stabbed, and then, yeah, I guess there's less security. But this is a black ops site where you have, I feel like there's face-off technology almost in this film. Like, there are robot octopus arms lasering her up, fixing her. I thought it was right out of Revenge of the Sith, like the birth yes. units. I was like, what the hell? I go with a lot of crazy shit in the Fast and the Furious, but where, when did they develop Star Trek medical bay technology? I don't know. I just, I cracked up. I cracked up a lot in this film. Probably not at the parts I was supposed to, but the outrageousness. And Stuart, I get your point. They've always been doing this. Mm-hmm. That's not new. No, but the fact that they're able to still get me to crack up at how far they're willing to go, that's a compliment, I guess? Yes. I want to stress that. What I hear Arnie saying is a complaint about this is so stupid, is actually impressive. That they can still make this outrageous is a compliment to this team because if they weren't, you would be bored. And I don't think we're bored watching this movie. I was teetering on it the first time I watched it. It was better the second viewing. But the first time, and I blame the editing, I had trouble keeping my interest. Well, I will say this. My favorite scene in this entire movie is the catfight. When Letty wakes up next to Cypher and they work together to get out of their cuffs and she realizes there's an escape hatch and it turns into a four-minute fight where they're breaking through glass and all of that. I wasn't into that, like, Letty versus Ronda Rousey thing, but Letty versus Charlize Theron, I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, because this isn't Letty versus Ronda Rousey. This is Hobbs versus Shaw in, I don't know, six, seven, whenever they have that big fight and they're throwing each other through the glass. And again, they're antagonists and then they're going to team up and they're doing that exact same thing here. But yeah, good choreography. I like this fight. Nice stunts. It works. Oh, absolutely. It was taking me back to Atomic Blonde, which I now believe to be a criminally underrated film because we reviewed it. I loved it. Charlize Theron was great in it and could really do stunts in that, and not a lot of people have seen it. It was a recommend from me, and here it was taking me back with the stunts she's doing, the fight moves she's able to pull off, and Michelle Rodriguez, this is her wheelhouse. She's just very comfortable doing this kind of action. So the two of them going at each other, I enjoyed. Yeah, it's a good fight, and, you know, yes, it ends in the way we can roll our eyes or not, but they're going to be collaborators, if not friends, and they'll spend the rest of the movie working together to escape a base that they realize now is in Antarctica. Yeah, they just got to get some snowsuits that are conveniently there and put those on. And my question is, since we're just doing this whole subplot right now, this is the end scene of the film, but they just walk and I guess they knew, or at least Cypher knew that they're going to meet Gal Gadot's character in the submarine, Giselle? Or Tess. Yeah, I think Tess set it up, but... I don't know. I feel like Cypher must have been part of that plan that she knew more. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Tess put Letty in the med bay where Cypher is, Tess's entire plot is almost as genius as the stuff Dante is doing. And 
they did retcon when they brought Han back to life. They retconned that Han's death was staged by Mr. Nobody, and the reason Mr. Nobody approached Han is because Giselle worked for Mr. Nobody long before Giselle worked with this crew. So, if you're gonna have Mr. Nobody faking everybody's deaths, and if Mr. Nobody knew Giselle, I guess Tess knows Giselle. And this was not... It was a surprise and it wasn't. I think I even mentioned in F9, like, I half expected Giselle to return. And watching this one, again, this scene is at the very end of the film, but I've seen everyone either return, not be killable, get an analog replacement. I'm like, I kept waiting for Giselle to show up in this film. I'm like, she's got to be coming back. She does. I laughed out loud. Again, one of the most hilarious things. I couldn't believe how audacious this was. Like, no one dies in this universe. I'll back you up on that. It is hilariously stupid that she is in the submarine from part eight. She died in part six. Is that the same submarine? Like, they didn't blow that submarine up? They still have that? They say earlier, Ames says they stole a submarine. So that means that I don't know where Dom's crew has parked the submarine or Mr. Nobody (laughs) had the submarine, but they kept that Russian sub. I thought that was just a reference to that film, like when they fought a submarine. Oh, of course you thought that. That's what you're supposed to think. I thought, again, my memory, because I'm never watching these movies again, I thought that was like blown up or something. So I was shocked to see it return. I don't know that it's a reward to see all these connections or not. I think that there is, Arnie, I think of you as being one of them. There are some people that love the way that Saw is interconnected and can geek out at like, oh, she's back and all of that. But honestly, yeah, this is just trashy soap opera. You can just appreciate the fact that Gal Gadot is popping out from the sub of part eight and roll your eyes and go, of course, Wonder Woman 3 isn't happening. So (laughs) yes, this is the best she's going to be able to get. It all comes down to stakes. And every time you do this, you undercut the stakes. I was fine with bringing back Letty. Okay, that was a stretch, but I was fine with it. You were really fine with that? That was terrible. I'm fine with it as a concept. I'm not fine with how it was executed. Yeah, it was terrible and it was stupid then. And that was part four. Well, it was really part six. But bringing back Han and then bringing back Giselle, too much. Then you must not want another Fast and Furious movie ever again, because that is what it is going to do again and again. Because people have told it and rewarded it saying, This is what we like. We like the shock and the stupidity of seeing these twists. My audience clapped when Gal Gadot showed up, okay? My Friday audience, which was the vocal audience, cheered Gal Gadot's return to the franchise, so I stand alone. It didn't get an audience response except for me laughing out loud and my wife going, why is Wonder Woman in these films? I'm like, she's been in them, she died, she's back, don't worry about it. Yeah. We could take the attitude of this has gone too far, but pulling it back to what? To where was it ever grounded? I'm hearing one movie. One movie is where it really worked. And I'm not even going to disagree with that. Fast Five was the best movie, and all the other ones have been hilarious exaggerations, certainly since then. But it would be boring if they didn't keep elevating, right? They didn't keep rigging these things to go bigger and bigger and have tanks and spaceships, and what have you, you would be done with this franchise anyway. Leterrier said he was going to make this one more grounded. They weren't going to go to space. They weren't going to keep upping that ridiculous quotient anymore. I mean, maybe he just meant they're going to stay on the ground then. It's a translation issue. Yeah, I think that's literally (laughs) what he meant. No more space stations. 
Well, if you're looking for some ridiculousness, though, the part my audience seemed to enjoy the most about this movie, and that I found most useless in this movie except for comic relief, is following Roman, Tej, Han, and Ramsey as they just go from place to place and accomplish nothing. Yeah, the thing they've given Roman to do in this movie is explore his leadership. And what his leadership has done is apparently they were in Rome, they ended up in a shipping yard, they jumped into a crate. Of Cologne. Yeah, they just randomly wound up in London and now have to evade cameras because London is one of the most photographed cities. How are they going to escape God's eye? They don't even know that the bad guys don't have God's eye. You say they're given nothing to do. They're the ones making the audience laugh. That is their job. Like, this is when the audience reacts the most, when the four of them are on screen. And yeah, we're talking about receipts and Roman handing out money or loaning it and all that stuff. That got all the laughs. I feel like this kind of carried the film. Like, I was always happy to go back to this quartet because Vin is a black hole and these people at least have personality. Oh, I don't disagree with you there. My audience on Friday night ate this up. I never knew there were such Tyrese Gibson fans as were in my audience Friday night eating up his every line. Yo, he got all the laughs. But doesn't it just show how useless these four characters are that they get this subplot? When they become useless, and whenever, you know, we're watching a film for now playing, I gotta watch every frame. When I go to the theaters, I wanna see everything. I'm watching this movie, we're about halfway through it, and I gotta pee bad. Like, this never happens. <laughs> it's hitting me. And as soon as Pete Davidson is talking about pot brownies or marijuana muffins, I guess, and Hans is hallucinating, I'm like, all right, I'm running to the bathroom real quick. This is not important. <laughs> okay, so Pete Davidson is in this. Am I watching a DC Universe film? We got Aquaman, Peacemaker, Black Adam, and Blackguard in this film. And Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman. Yes, five DC characters are in here. With some Marvels. Groot and Captain Marvel. But that's not a hard task to accomplish at this point. <laughs> Every actor signs up to one of those superhero franchises. And Ego's just off screen, so. <laughs> but yeah, Pete Davidson, why is he here? Does everybody love Pete Davidson? He cameos in all kinds of things. I thought everyone hated him. I hate him. I don't know why he's famous. I don't think he's funny. I always roll my eyes when he shows up in something. I don't think this stuff in London is that great. It should be prefaced, the idea that we've cut away to Dante. This is the scene where he's painting the toenails of corpses. He's starting to kill his men. And he picks up a laptop and he hits a button. And now he's hacked their, all the money they've stolen for the last 20 years has now been hacked. And they are penniless. So they are now dependent on Roman. He truly can stay in this leadership position. Black Bezos. Because, yes, he's the Black Bezos with a $100 bill strapped to him on a vest. Does that mean he had that money strapped to him the entire time in Rome? Like He's like, I just need this money in case like something goes wrong. He is as smart as Jason Momoa. Not just that. He always has this money with him. He probably had this money with him at the barbecue. Yeah, I think that when yeah he fell out of the back of the plane in the car that parachuted, he was wearing it. That's what we're to understand. That's why he is a good leader. Later, Tej will have some eye-rolling affirmations for him when Roman is in doubt that he can lead a crew in the future because so many things go wrong. Tej is the one to, you know, after beating him up, claiming that he is someone that could lead, a, again, a spinoff. We could conceivably. Arnie, I hear you say you don't want it. We tried that in Too Fast, Too Furious. We don't want that. 
Well, that was before the series even knew what it really wanted to be. I think you could maybe, I don't know, Paramount Plus TV series? You could have a mini-series of it. I don't think it's big screen material. But as you say, the audience loves Tyrese. They can't get enough of this. So, yeah. You could have some shaggy dog story of these three or four characters going off and doing something in the future. He could lead that mission. Han and Ramsey take the back seat. I mean, Tyrese and Ludacris are the big personalities here. Han, I like just because of Tokyo Drift and how long he's been with the franchise, but he and Ramsey are really just standing in the background going, yeah. I was really disappointed how little Han did in this. I feel like out of these four, he was the most like just, he'll get a fight scene later on, but like he really doesn't do much. No, no, they're saving for it. The tease of the last stinger of F9 was Jason Statham beating up on a guy that was in his punching bag and then going to answer the door. There's Han. We get that moment here. After they stumble away from Pete Davidson and are on the run from agency SWAT teams, they have that fight, although it really wasn't intended to be a fight. And Han is high. Way too long to get to Jason Statham. This is the point where my wife started cheering because this is why she wanted to see it. She loved his character in Hobbs and Shaw. He gets a fight scene too, and then he's pretty much out of the movie. But more of this, more Statham, less Vin, please. I think, again, he'll be in Fast 11. He was too busy filming The Meg 2, which you can hear us review on the now-playing donation drive for summer. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I think we get one scene with him here just to remind us he's in the franchise. And the funniest part to me is that at the end of F9, we saw that there was a human in the punching bag he's beating up. Well, they don't reveal that until the end of this fight, where that punching bag He's hitting it, and you hear it go like, ow, ow, and it gets hit with a car, and all this is happening to the punching bag, and I am, this is the part, except for Momoa, that I am laughing at the hardest, is this punching bag taking such abuse, knowing there's a person in there, and then they're going to finally reveal that to the audience, in case you didn't remember. At the very end, this guy wearing nothing but tidy whities pops out and has to run away. And we don't know who that is. It wasn't even in the Hobbs and Shaw movie. We don't know what connection this person has to this universe, but he'll probably be super important next time, right? (laughs) He'll become a villain after they kill Jason Momoa. Yeah. We said that about Cardi B, too. Yeah, she'll be back. She's coming back. We got to go Avenger style. They're all coming back for the end. So, yeah, do we need this? Do we love this? I don't think this stuff is funny. If you're asking for my opinion, none of this is working, and it does feel tired And it does feel even less for Tej. It just feels like Tyrese is supposed to be keeping this going during all of this. Yeah, Ludacris feels tired in this. Like, I feel like he did not want to be here. Or did not enjoy the idea of being in a shipping crate full of aftershave. (laughs) And then, you know, running around watching other people have fight scenes. Sitting there trying to hack a lock while all the action is going on inside this warehouse. Yeah, that's not very rewarding. I I don't know. You know, at one point he was working out and had his shirt off and was trying to be part of the tough crew. And now he feels like I'm the second hacker. When Ramsey can't get it done, they turn to me. Yeah. I feel like that's a love story that's going to eventually happen. If they're going to give Tej anything, he and Ramsey are going to hook up. It's been a love triangle between Roman, Tej, and Ramsey ever since Ramsey was first introduced. And it just seems kind of dropped now, but it does seem like. 
there is the moment where Tej turns to her and says, will you marry me? I mean, I think that's still something that's going on there. Come on, Little Fast and the Furious, she's going to be pregnant with one of their babies. They got to do that. The other thing is, though, let's not forget the emotional part where Roman really has to struggle with leadership. He realizes that this crew has just gone place to place and done nothing. And so we're going to get that emotional moment on the airplane. And he and Tej are going to make up after fist fighting in Bowie's place. And Tej is going to be like, you're a leader. This is cheesy and melodramatic. I wish anything Vin did, because he's doing a lot of these kind of lines too, had the amount of just fun that these ones, like these are dumb lines, but Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson, I'm just willing to go with it more. I'm hearing you want Vin Diesel to wink, and I don't know that he should do that. Even more than I know he's not going to, I think that would be wrong for the character. I think he should not be saying a lot of the lines he's saying. I don't want to hear him saying family and faith. No, that's a problem for me. It's I know he's done it for nine other films or whenever they decide, decided family was about this. Well, then you'll keep rolling with it, right? Because if you've accepted it for this long... We're not going to change it up now. He just seems to be getting more serious about it every film, and I, that seems the opposite way to go. I agree with you, Jacob. I don't see this as the same as Dom in the previous movies. I see this as worse. I don't understand that. I really can't understand how it's become more. And maybe it's because of juxtaposition with a lot of characters that are having fun that it just comes off that way. And he has nobody to play off of. It is him alone. He's by himself in this, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, again, the oil and water mixture worked better with him than it does when it's just him alone being gruff. He never had anyone to play off of other than Brian. He'd play off the rest of the crew in the other movies a little bit. Mmm, not really. Not in any way that was more than what he did at the barbecue at the beginning of this movie. Now, if you want to talk about a character that really isn't working, John Cena. Oh, you're crazy. What do you mean? I love John Cena in this movie. He didn't work last movie. What? But he's a totally different character this movie. Yeah. It's like he just decided, remember when I did that stupid movie with the kids and the firemen? I'm going to just do that. But here's the thing, Stuart. That, that was my memory that like he was super boring in the last one. I'm like, oh, he's Peacemaker in this one. He's making jokes. He's having fun. He's smiling. And I don't care if this is not consistent with what he did last time. This is better. This is the Cena performance I want. This is the crux of my thesis that these people were not given any direction and told to do whatever they wanted to do. Because in the last movie, John Cena played Jacob as a really stoic, serious, rough person. And I was waiting for, how do you bring Jacob back into this? He was on the run. He wasn't at the big dinner with Abuela earlier on. But when John Cena comes in just doing what John Cena does in every John Cena movie, it's better than what he did last time. And yeah, I didn't like that Fireman movie. I did watch it. I don't even know what you're talking about. I missed that one. I think it's called Playing With Fire, where he and John Leguizamo and a couple others are firemen who are babysitting kids. Sounds bad. And here, it's really working for me what he's doing. I like his interplay with Little B. I like his rubber face. This is when John Cena works. And now I think he's really good here. Okay. I have nothing to say other than I 100% disagree with you. I think all of these scenes are a movie I don't want to watch. I'll just put it that way. I'm going with it. I don't like Kindergarten Cop. I don't like it when muscle-bound men 
play with children. I, I think Bautista did one with like a little girl. And they all have to do it, right? The way that they show they have range is that The Rock is going to play football Little League style. Like I just, but I never want that movie. Never, ever, ever. I didn't want it when I was a child and I don't want it now. I feel like when you're getting professional wrestlers to be in your film, who do they appeal to? They have to have personality. They have to appeal to kids. Back off, wrestling fans. I know there's adults that are into it. I have siblings that are adults that are into it still. But I feel like you got to appeal to that younger crowd. Cena's doing that. He knows how to do that because of his career. Yes, he's doing it, but I don't want to watch this. I want to be clear. I'm not saying whether this even works or not, theoretically, for the movie and the all ages. I'm saying I never want these scenes of Uncle Muscle's coming to the house and going <laughs> on a road trip to an airport so that they can sing and dance to good vibrations. I love that Dante calls him Uncle Muscles the whole movie. I'll tell you what I don't want is when he's introduced, it's because the agency is going after Mia and Little B back in Los Angeles. And they're raiding this house. And maybe I've forgotten this, but when did Mia become a... Mar did she run a sandwich shop in the original film? And now she's a full-on martial artist? Last movie. She went to Tokyo and there was a whole ninja moment. Oh, she fought ninjas in that one? I don't even remember ninjas. Okay. She did. Right before they found Han. Okay, I probably expressed similar outrage in that one then. I don't understand why she's a martial arts expert all of a sudden. Now, I will say that the part of this movie that, again, goes a little too far, kind of like the medical lasers, is when John Cena, he's carrying a kayak for most of this. How do you get that on a plane? I think you pay extra. But it's actually a jet. They didn't detect all that? Yeah, the TSA would x-ray your kayak, I think, and the TSA would inspect that your kayak is actually a plane. But this was a piece of sci-fi that just wasn't needed in this movie. You didn't need this sci-fi glider. Uh, do you see his car at the end of this film? I like the car at the end of this film. It's got like a steampunk thing I can go with, but this glider, it doesn't do anything. They use it to get out of an airplane and you never see the glider again. Why introduce a glider for this? I don't know. I like how ridiculous this all is. Stuart, going back to saying, why do you watch a Fast and Furious film? This is why. Yeah, I'm getting mad at you, Arnie. I'm getting mad at you that you <laughs> pick these nits. And you're like, this is too far. What are you talking about? Too far happened decades ago. This is not too far. This is par for the course. This is what you have signed up and shouted again and again that you love. And now you're saying it's too much. And that is not true. It is not any more ridiculous than many of the films that you have championed. It is exactly what they have been doing. Here's the difference. Integration with the plot and necessity and importance to the plot. If you're just going to have these ridiculous side things, then I'm going to balk at them. Did you like part six? Because I remember you signing up and saying, yeah at tanks and flying off freeways and stuff like that. You remember wrong. Jacob loved the tank. I love that tank. I believe I read Arrowed Fast 6. All right. So what you're saying is that there is a hard line to absurdity, and if they have flying vehicles, you're usually out. Yes. You like the parachuting out of the plane, though, right? Yeah, I did like the parachutes. See, how is that different? Again, <laughs> it's believable. It is not believable. Stop. <laughs> Stop with those lies. I'm not saying it's realistic, 
but suspension of disbelief. The fact that they can make me suspend my disbelief is a talent. And they're able to do it when they work at it. When they just throw stuff in randomly, though, I cannot suspend my disbelief. They have always done it randomly. I've never been able to suspend my disbelief. Yeah, this franchise works on audacity. How extreme can we go? Absolutely. And to imply otherwise is offensive to me. I'm getting angry that you, you put me through all these crazy movies and then are like going to get indignant about new craziness. What should be asked is not, is it ridiculous? What should be asked is, does it still elate you? And for whatever reason, you're not going to go with it, but I don't know why. I don't know why they can parachute out of a plane two movies ago and you like it. And then the kayak turns into a plane in this one and you say too far. You're not being consistent. I believe that, again, I, I've stated it. The suspension of disbelief and the fact that they went through the trouble of explaining the parachuting, whereas this spaceship kayak came out of nowhere. Can I offer a different theory? Is it perhaps that we're over this <laughs> Is it perhaps that we have seen enough of this that what used to be, oh my god, this is crazy, now feels ho-hum, another flying car? That definitely could be part of it, because... I was certainly thinking of, I didn't like when Dom went all Tarzan grabbing that rope from the rope bridge and swung. And I was definitely thinking about that earlier when he jumps and knocks the bomb with the crane. I'm like, you're repeating beats here. You're doing stuff that we've already seen and that excited me before. Yeah, I do feel like that is a problem at this point is you went to space. You gotta keep going bigger. And how do you do that without introducing dinosaurs like some people wanted that I read on the internet? Right. Yes, I agree with that. And again, I'm hearing sometimes from all of us, we appreciate them going too far. And so why should they be penalized? Why should they pay a fine if they have a moment like this? Now, if you want to get back to the original, that is Dom, right? That is the Dom storyline. He is the only one that is going to race in a street race. If you want to get back to that first movie. <laughs> yeah, remember when this franchise was about street racing? Right. This is just about illegal street racing. We're going to go to Brazil and just have some hoochie mamas shake their booty to the camera, DJ spinning songs. You always have to have this scene. Even in these later ones, I still have it. Yeah, always appreciate this scene. I must say you, I'm always a fan. That is the grounding part. That is the thing that reminds you that they've been doing this since movie one. They haven't always had flying kayaks, but this they've been doing since 2001. But I get why you have to have this scene. This is to keep harping on Vin Diesel. Like when he's told, you're going to have to make a choice of who to save. And just his facial expressions, like I'm laughing at it. I'm being entertained by it, but this is not good or convincing though. This troubled look on his face as he throws his brow deciding who he's going to save in this race. It's the straight man role, which is never the fun one. Obviously, Dante gets to have all of the achante and do all of the flamboyance mincing around. That's why villains are more fun than heroes, oftentimes in superhero movies. It's because being the good guy oftentimes means being monochromatic, whereas the villains can just go out there. But I don't know. It's I find it strange that you guys are having a problem with Vin Diesel at this point. He is Vin Diesel. He is doing Vin Diesel things. He is reacting in Vin Diesel ways. They're asking me to care way too much for this franchise whenever he's furrowing that brow and trying to act down and serious. 
well, here's the choice that he's given, and it's not particularly well staged, but when he returns to his people in Rio, there's that guy, Diogo. We've seen him before, right? Yeah, he's in part five, so that was a callback, and he's going to decide that he's not leaving Dom. When Dante shows up and pulls guns, his crew is also going to pull guns, so they're going to settle this with the street race. And that also means that blowing in here, there's this chick, Isabel. This is a new character, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, sort of. She is the sister of Elena. We will find out. Yes. We'll find that out. But that's new information? Yes. Okay. I don't know how Dom could have been with Elena for so many years. I don't know why Dom was so concerned about her. I guess he says he recognized her from how she stood or something. Bullshit. Whatever. Okay. She smiles with her eyes. She looks nothing like Elena. No, she doesn't. She looks like the girl that loved rats in Suicide Squad 2, because that's who this actress is. (laughs) Oh, okay. More Suicide Squad callbacks. (laughs) I didn't even realize there's a sixth DC actor. The Suicide Squad is the Kevin Bacon of movies, I guess. But yes, she's going to be on one side. This Diogo's on the other. In between, you have our hero and villain. And right before they get started, Dante says... It must be hard being a saint. How do you know who to save? And yes, Dom realizes, I don't know why independent parties aren't checking the vehicles, (laughs) that his friends are rigged with bombs. I don't know how he can save either one of them, but by ramming into her and flipping her when the bomb explodes, it goes into the air. He knocks the bomb off the bottom of the car somehow. Yeah, you see it fly off so the car doesn't take the full impact of the explosion. Yeah, it's ridiculous, but I go with that ridiculousness. You have to, as you have to go with all ridiculousness, that saving her means, like, running her off the road and crushing her. But yes, that saves her, it means Diogo blows up, and Dante drives on, winning the race. I love Dante in this, he's hanging out the window, his painted fingernails, his purple outfit. His purple pubes, the carpet matches the drapes. I want to see those purple pubes. So what I'm hearing is outrageousness in performance is required and desired. It should match the action. Yeah, you're right. All right. So we need characters, particularly villains, to be this flamboyant in order to sustain interest. Yes. Preferably the heroes too. But the heroes, their flamboyance typically comes when they come back from the dead. That seems to be all that they could. Most of the heroes are kind of, by comparison... Less outrageous. Yeah, except for Tyrese. Yeah. Yeah, Tyrese is the lone comedic relief. I mean, look, if Vin is at like a four, the rest of the cast is at at like a seven, and then Momoa is at a 15. Wherever Vin's at, I feel like Han's at. They're both pretty stoic figures. Han got a better fight scene, a better action scene. Han is a non-entity to me in this movie, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, you used to love Han, too. And he just doesn't do anything here. Well, the one thing I'll say that he's doing is he's on dating apps, which means he could have found a girl before he meets Gal Gadot again, and that could be a romantic (laughs) triangle. Just going to put it out there. We can bring in a new female. Who should we get? Nicole Kidman? No, that's too old. Haley Steinfeld. That's too young. It's a Hollywood movie. Yeah, it's a Hollywood movie. Han is 39. She's, what, 20? (laughs) Sounds about right. Okay. Anyway, speaking of relationships, yes. So is Dom going to sleep with Isabel? Is what I'm wondering as he's pulling her out of the wreckage and they're going back to her apartment. It for sure feels like that. I'm like, oh, wait, he's married, right? He's got Letty. She's still alive. I never once thought that there was a romantic chemistry between Isabel and Dom. 
come on. Oh, no, they play it up. They definitely play it up like they are going to f- You didn't see it in Drax and Mantis. You don't count. <laughs> it's there. It is in that scene. You can see that he is definitely thinking about, can I get away with this? Well, let me, let me. Even my wife was like, tiss, tiss, tiss. You're a married man. What are you doing? Well, did you see Isabel's bud? I mean, I could understand it. Yeah. <laughs> She's so much like Elena. She even has her sister's old cop files. Because, of course, wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah, don't you keep your siblings' paperwork around in your back closet? And this is where we're going to find out all the backstory we've already talked about with Dante and the fact that he was in the mental institutions and all of that, prison to prison. This is Dom discovering what we pretty much know. Yeah, that he's the kid of the guy that he wounded. Because up to this point, it's worth pointing out, no one knew his name. They were just thinking of him as the devil. And Dom is so stupid. He's like, oh, there's this one jail cell that his name's on the deed still. So let's go. I'm like, this guy's the mastermind that's been planning everything. You know this. And you're just going to walk into the one building that literally just has his name on it and makes it the most obvious target? Dom. It is Vin Diesel. I mean, it is Dom. He's never been the big brain of the group. It is Fast and the Furious. Dom is what they do. Show me the intelligent move. It wouldn't be to be in this movie. So, (laughs) yes, he walks in and as... Dante will say over the rotary phone, you're seeing my vision board, you're seeing all the people that I'm targeting, and basically all family photos. He has audio snippets of everything Dom has been saying in private, so there must be bugs even in Dom's house. If this guy has been planning this for the last 10 years, he really has been there the whole time, taking pictures taking recordings. I mean, they do have footage. I think it's Ames at the agency where we see a bunch of footage from the old movies. It's like a Spaceball situation. They just got copies of the movies. God's eye. (laughs) And so, yes, Ames has been tracking all of this. We had Cutaway where he's been flying around the world without God's eye, but he did see footage. Here's something that doesn't make any sense. Help me out with this. He looks at the prison moment where Tess stabbed Letty. Notices that she has the Dom crucifix, says wherever she last was is where Dom was. Yes. And that was not Brazil. Yeah, they were in Naples together having the Belgian ale. And then she told Dom, go to Rio. And she went to the Black Ops prison. And so, yes, they completely screw up that little bit of follow where she came from. Okay. I'm glad I, it wasn't me not tracking something in this very concise movie. I just thought my geography was off. I'm like, is Naples near Brazil? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. But anyway, the point is, we want to have another fight scene. I feel like there are more fist fight scenes in this movie than car chases. There are, and that's one of the things that I'm kind of complaining about. I like car chases. I can see fist fights done better in Mission Impossible films. Yeah, Ames has a moment where he's tracking Dom to this abandoned police station and some muggers, who I think are just Dom's friends, try to stop him and get beat up. And then he rolls in with his SWAT team and takes Dom out, disappointed that he doesn't put up a fight, compares it to getting to Everest and taking the elevator. And this is all so that we can get back to the bridge when they've actually driven on the bridge that was the climax of Fast Five. That's when the missiles come and Dante blows in. This is really confusing if you think about it too hard, and maybe it's a Fast and Furious movie, so you're not supposed to, but Dante and Ames are working together this whole time. Ames has Dom prisoner. 
Dante comes in and blows up the truck with Ames in it. I mean, Ames survives, but he flips the truck with a missile and Dom somehow knows this is coming. But at this point, Dante has won. I mean, Ames can drive him wherever. No, 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 no. Dante wants him to suffer, which means he's got to get little B. Yes, that's the thing. They know that everyone is talking about a rendezvous point. The audience of this movie does not yet know where that is. It will be a Portugal mine. But yes, that everyone is trying to get to this certain spot is something that Dante still needs to know because it's not enough to kill Vin Diesel. He has to make him hurt. Nothing would hurt him deeper than to lose his son. You kill my father, I'm going to kill your son, is essentially what he says as he's conducting Swan Lake with the actual ballet playing as choppers are flying in and shooting Brie Larson and Ames and what have you. One of my favorite moments in the entire film right there when the score goes Swan Lake. I did like Brie Larson just showing up here, jumping on that car, scratching it a bit with her spiked Converse, but she should have like used the spikes. She just uses the sole of that shoe. Yeah, but as somebody who just got a new car, this hurt me. This hurt me bad. <laughs> I understood where Jason Momoa was coming from. <laughs> Everything is disposable. He wasn't really mad. Again, this is all part of his plot. He wants this. He shoots her. I don't know. He tries to make it like it's Dom's. He keeps making this like choice of which one will you save or something. Will you save Isabel or will you save Brie Larson? Not a choice. But <laughs> yeah, he gets the makeup compact and leaves and now can find little B. And Tess and Isabel are going to race off to the hospital because Tess was shot in the shoulder. It doesn't look bad. Brie Larson will be back for the next films. They're not even going to fake her death. They got a laser machine to fix that. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to that hospital, though. That hospital's in Antarctica. <laughs> I think they just have that everywhere at this point in this universe. Yeah. We got machines that can save your life and reattach whatever, but you can't bleed out before we get to Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Dom now has to go rescue B. He's going to go to Portugal. I don't really want this, but I'd love to know exactly how he flies overseas when he is an internationally wanted fugitive. He drives, probably. Roll out. Yeah. Drives on surfboards for wheels, right? I can just imagine. <laughs> the sharks they jump are pulling his car along because <laughs> he shows up with a Dodge Charger. Yeah, that probably is a deleted scene of sharks, yeah, pulling the Dodge Charger. <laughs> I want to see sharks pulling a chariot of a Dodge Charger. That'd be great. <laughs> would it be great or would it be too much? I think what I'm really asking in this podcast is, do we accept this franchise as a serious action franchise, or as a madcap comedy. Yeah, I don't respect this franchise at all. I could have fun, I could laugh, I could have a good time. I don't respect it, though. Right, you shouldn't. And I don't think it even asks for much respect. I think at this point, it's playing to its worst indulgences. I don't respect the franchise, but I do want good action in it. I do want action that I can have fun with and take somewhat seriously. I want stakes in any movie, but I don't respect this franchise, possibly because it gives me no stakes. That is the problem. I enjoy the action, but there are no stakes. I'm like, if someone dies, they're just coming back. But the action is good. Yeah, the action's good. So this final chase when we get to Portugal and Dante has got hundreds of men. I don't know how many children are kidnapped at this point. <laughs> like, entire <laughs> nations of children have been kidnapped. No, they say he took all of the money away from Dom's crew and fed it to every mercenary and 
hired guns. So these are all for hire troops. Oh, okay. So there's no longer children endangered. Okay. I can feel slightly better about this. <laughs> Not so many orphans as all these cars are being crushed and... How is no one dying in this final chase? Like, they keep making a point, like, no civilians have died. Like, there's cars blowing... I guess they're all mercenaries in these cars on this highway? Yes. If a car is blowing up, it's a bad guy. Okay. But yes, again, taken on just the idea of good action versus bad action, Arnie, this is good action, Yes. No, I like this. I like this car chase. I like Vin going the wrong way against the traffic. I like all the cars chasing him. This is good stuff. And again, Momoa hamming it up, but they keep cutting to Momoa and I keep smiling. And let's not downplay the most important part. John Cena has a car that's also a giant gun. (laughs) Yes, I figured you'd appreciate that. If you like the tank from Six, this is essentially a homemade version It's so Mad Max, he's driving out of a mine. I'm like, let's just jump to the future and do Mad Max Fast and Furious at this point. Yeah, it has to be an idea for some kind of spinoff, right? We can only hope. And so, yes, we have a little child hanging off the back trying to fix the cannon so that they can blast Dante, and Dante grabs him off to the side. Help me out, how does Jacob's sacrifice help anybody? The mercenaries have a couple of cars that pull out freaking Gatlin guns, you know, machine guns out of the top, and they're going to shoot and kill Dom. I guess at this point, Dante is ready to kill Dom. He says so, yeah. Yeah, he has B in front of Dom, so now Dom could be killed. Jacob is no longer useful because his fuel line's been cut, so all he can do is take out the mercenaries so they can't shoot Dom. And they sell this, I really watched the second time, they sell this as a dramatic moment. They go slow-mo, they show John Cena in the rolling car, they're trying to tell us John Cena is dead. The only way I possibly believe it is if John Cena cost so much money and they needed to give it to The Rock next movie. But otherwise, nobody dies in this franchise. Maybe not the next movie, but by 12, they're all coming back. It's Endgame. Well, here's the thing. I mean, and I hate to be morbid like this, but Paul Walker's not coming back. They could find a way. Yeah, and I cringe when I think about what that way is. The fact that they haven't killed him off makes me think they are going to bring him back at some point. There's going to be one CGI shot, right? Yes. Yeah, holding a corona. I can see it. But yes, I think John Cena might be dead. I'll just go ahead and say I think Jacob did die in this moment. I don't think he'll be back. But you say, you're, now you're saying there's two more movies? Yep, that's what they're saying. That's what the studio said. There's not just one more movie. According to Vin recently, there's going to be another one after the next one. So it's never ending. So this is just a continuous lie. Yeah. I mean, did you listen to his mom's speech at the beginning of the film? It's like the shared farewell tour of like, went on for 12 years. Okay. Yeah, it's Kiss going on their last tour again. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Got it. So this is never ending until people stop patronizing it. And people will stop patronizing it when they don't get whatever they need out of this, which I'm hearing, I think I'm hearing that this one is delivering more than it's not giving. Yes? Gotta wait for the recommends to find that out. Oh, you're you're (laughs) holding it to the vest. Okay, fine. Fair enough. All right. Well, I think we're at the end here. So Jacob is taken out. Dom gets his kid back in a silly driving lesson move that has the kid basically jumping Uh, It's not a driving lesson. It's jumping out of a moving car lesson. (laughs) I mean, I think that's every film where you have to have that scene. It's obligatory. I just love that in the Fast and Furious universe, if a car breaks your fall, that's as good as a cushion. What's crazy is I made that joke because people would land on cars. But in this one, Vin's car lands on cars and it breaks the car's fall. Like, 
Cars are magic in this universe. <laughs> they are. So anyway, yeah, they go, because Ames is radioing them to take a service road, they go off and get stuck on a dam where on both sides there's an oil tanker and you realize, ha ha ha, you're exactly where I wanted you. I knew that everyone would drive in this direction and be at this exact same point and that even Roman knows to be driving to this dam in the plane that they can then just shoot in front of Dom. That's because Ames brought them. Yeah. Okay, so he guided that plane. Yeah, because the big twist, I guess, is Ames really is a bad guy. He was just off screen in part five, too. He's getting hired by Dante's dad, Hernan. I'm glad they had that twist because I'm like, this Ames character makes no sense. He wanted to hunt him down. Now he's like the new Hobbs and buddy-buddy with them. So I'm glad with this reveal because I didn't understand Ames at all. Still doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's better. It makes more sense than if they didn't have that explanation. Sense is not why we're here. Again, I just want to reinforce that. Why we're here is to see Dom drive off of that dam and outrace a explosion with his tires on fire. <laughs> and again, that stuff looks great. That stuff is semi-amazing. Kudos to Leterrier here. I really like his shots of Dom's wheels. When he's going down in Rome, he's going down a staircase. They cut to the wheels. It looks like the wheel's about to be torn off by the stairs and the friction. Here you get the shot of the wheel on fire. I don't know why I love the shots of wheels so much, but it's something different and exciting. And this car racing from the flames, it seems like Ghost Rider. <laughs> it does, like that is so fiery going down that dam. But my God, this is the worst shot in the movie too, because the CGI, when they are hitting the NOS and going down the dam is so bad. It is really like 10 years out of date. Yeah, it felt like they were trying to do Matrix Reloaded when the two semis crash into each other and you see the shockwaves rippling and I don't know, like they spent all their money just for the cast of this film. I guess they didn't have a lot left over. You mean they didn't actually drive down the side of a dam? How dare they? How dare they do this in post? It's not that. It's that they have CGI Vin Diesel and CGI Little B and CGI Dodge Charger insides and all of that. Just because they want this camera move that no camera can actually do, but it ends up in that uncanny valley where they look really bad. But I like the flaming wheels. Yeah, the wheels are great. Yeah, the wheels are good. But that's not the real explosion. Once they get to the bottom and he pulls little B out of the water, you think they're safe. And then you realize, or at least I realize, oh, this is not going to wrap up. This is a cliffhanger. All those little bomb discs Dante has put all over everything, underneath cars and what have you. They're all over this dam, and that means a giant deluge is going to come crashing down on these two. And yeah, they cut over to Antarctica, and we, that's the Gal Gadot reveal as well. But they're going to leave us right here. And this is the hook to get people back in a year, two years. Is it filmed? Two years. It's not filmed yet. They haven't even started it. Have they even written it? Yeah, I was going to say, is there a script? It'll write itself. It's going to have to. There's a strike going on. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of movies that end on quote unquote cliffhangers. The Matrix 2 or Deathly Hallows Part 1 or something like that. But how many end on a cliffhanger this direct? This reminded me of when I was a kid and I'd watch TV shows and like, the season finale would end on a cliffhanger, like when Picard became a Borg, and he was on board the Borg cube, and you cut to Riker, and Riker says, fire, 
and then it cuts to credits and you have to wait all summer tense as hell to find out what happened to Picard as the Borg did Riker just blow him up I can't recall too many if any movies that end on this direct of a TV like cliffhanger yeah it's they got to make you want to see what happens next and they make the appetite make you wet for it even more they have this mid stinger thing with the rock Here's the thing. I'm watching this mid credit scene. It's this masked man. We find out that Dante knows who he is. This is another member of the crew. So my first thought is, oh, they're going to finally kill Paul Walker. He was on some weird mission. They're masked, so we can't see his face. Explosion. We finally got an answer. And then that didn't happen. I'm like, are they going to kill The Rock without showing his face? Is this how they get rid of his character, Hobbs? But no, he's going to finally take that mask off. I feel like this is how you get audiences back. Hopefully they stay to the very end mid credit scene, but I was shocked after hearing all that drama that The Rock is back. Here's what's funny is I didn't need him to take off the mask. I've seen The Rock in so many movies. I recognized the veins bulging on his forearms. <laughs> that was not a body double that was walking through with that giant mask on. I'm like, Son of a bitch, they got The Rock back, and all I can do is think about how The Rock's career is in free fall right now, and how he needs this franchise more than it needs him. Yeah, Black Adam didn't do so well. You gotta be Hobbs again. I honestly figured his Black Adam ego and all of the fallout from Black Adam made him finally return Vin Diesel's call after the very public Instagram feud between the two of them, where Dwayne Johnson said he's never coming back. Now, you're hearing it here first. They're going to play that off like it was all marketing. Like all of that feud was just to make it a big shock that he's back at the end. That's what my wife was accusing the film of. She's like, oh, this was all planned. I guess I didn't realize that he said he was never coming back to the franchise. It was a huge feud. Well, no, I mean, I know they fought, but I, I mean, he had Hobbs and Shaw, right? They were going to do the side quest. Yeah, he would not work with Vin again. I'm still not convinced of that. Yes, he's coming back, but I dare say... What they can do with technology, they will never be on the same set again. That seems probably baked into it. They were barely on the same set in Fast 8. They cut around that a lot. Yeah, I imagine that they'll keep that going. Of course they have to bring him back because everyone comes back. But are you excited for everybody coming back this time or next? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Fasten? Jacob. Fasten your seatbelt, listeners. Look, don't watch any of these films. That's my overall <laughs> opinion. But if you have watched these films, if you are into this franchise, those are the only people I could direct this to. Because no, this is a bad movie. The story's a mess. The directing's a mess. The editing's a mess. There's no consistency. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. There are no stakes. You could throw a million criticisms at this, and it's just going to pull out a laser machine that shoots them all away. Like, that is this franchise. My opinion of this one, it's a little green, it's a little brown. There, there's some shit in this water. Maybe that makes it all brown. But, like, whenever Vin's on screen, I'm laughing because his acting's ridiculous. Like, I'm having fun, is what I'm saying. Like, even though this is an objectively bad film, except for the action, which is well shot, but the acting decisions are, like, way over the top. But that's the fun here. I, I said it earlier, like, never going to respect these films, but it's summer. We talk about popcorn flicks and I don't want to say turning your mind off because I'm engaged in this. I'm laughing. I'm enjoying it for various reasons. It's not like Transformers where I'm just hating this thing and even the action isn't good in there. But I don't respect myself for saying this. But yeah, I guess it's a green arrow. If we got to go that way and do the now playing thing, I'm going to give this a recommend because it's over the top and fun enough. 
even though there's a lot of bad and stupidity here, but that's every Fast and Furious movie. It's one of the better ones. It's like in the middle for me. So yeah, that's a green arrow, I guess. Stuart. Yeah, I appreciate your difficulty and trying to orient. Where's the road anymore? Are we still in space? How do you recommend one installment from the other? It's no secret that I'm not a fan of Fast and the Furious. I don't jive with high-octane foolery, and this is just an obtuse combo of melodrama and auto mechanics that it has run its course. It does not need to go on for any reason. And yet, I feel like that's not what I'm being asked to evaluate. What I'm being asked to evaluate is how does this compare to the last stretch of road? Quarter mile at a time you talk about, I feel like they were drifting, maybe Tokyo drifting with the last couple movies. And this one seemed to be getting back to a place that is a little bit more fun. I'm going to use the driving lesson that Dom used to try and help you decide whether you want to take this ride. Find the line. And that I take to mean how much bullshit are you willing to accept? Nobody goes to space in this one, but they still are East LA street racers on spy missions. There's a gun that's a car. Yeah, yeah. If your line is before that, not for you. Then feel the car, or in this case, feel yourself in the movie seat. Do you really want to go through two and a half hours of outrageous emotional manipulation where people are surprisingly dead or back from the grave and all of these twists? If you feel like you want to do that, then let it fly. You'll either want to fly in the opposite direction or go towards this show. I will say for me, taking on that diagnostic material, I feel like this is a pretty solid one. I rank this one fourth. Of the 11 films, this one is up there. I think it's got a pretty good girl fight. It's got some pretty cool stunts. I like the Rome stuff. I will say this. I heard you guys compliment Momoa a lot. He's okay. I don't feel like any of the new stuff is that great. Brie Larson, him, Rita Moreno, even Ames. I feel like they're not going to be the thing that holds you. If you have liked Fast and the Furious movies in the past, there's a chance for you here. If you have not liked them in the past, then Jason Momoa is not going to fix it. It is a cocktail of wheelies and one-liners that you already know whether you like it or not. And so if your question is, is it better than F9? Is it better than 8? I would say yes. It feels like a weird mixture of second-tier Marvel and a Roger Moore Bond movie. And that, to me, is a green arrow. Wow. (laughs) And I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit here, but I will say, I went back and I looked at my rankings of Fast and Furious. What did I put on Letterboxd? And there's really only four Fast and the Furious movies I really like. Two for me. There's Fast Five is my favorite. Yep. Furious Seven is second. That's my third. The very first one is third. That's a terrible film. <laughs> and Tokyo Drift is fourth. Yep, that's my second. Those are the four I really just stand by and say I like. And then there's some I absolutely dislike, which is Too Fast, Too Furious, Fate of the Furious, and F9. Those are really wretched. And is this a course correction? Did they get back on the road after eight and nine? Yes, because Fast X was in neither of those lists. But the majority of Fast and the Furious, I just find to be mediocre. Fast and Furious 6, Fast and Furious Part 4, Hobbs and Shaw, mediocre movies that I 
don't love them, I don't hate them. And that's kind of where I came in with Fast X, is it's just another mediocre Fast and the Furious movie. But is it a recommend? The first time I watched this, I said, I was kind of bored. I was really missing the car action, the fistfight action, except for the girl fight, was not that great. The Tej Roman fight was intentionally bad, but yet I did like the ghetto magician move. But... Watching it the second time, first of all, I think it did help that I had a very lively audience that was enjoying it, making it more of a fun time for me. But both of you said Momoa is not going to move your needle. Momoa is what pushes this from a week not recommend to a week recommend for me. I really love his performance in this. I love his flamboyance in this. He is a joy every second he's on screen. I recommend seeing this movie if for no other reason than Momoa's performance, although other parts of the movie are pretty good too. I like the John Cena stuff. I like some of the action. So for very different reasons than Stewart, I give this movie a recommend. (laughs) Yeah, and this is so weird that the fan of the franchise is the coolest on this. The two guys that never wanted to watch anymore are like, yeah, this one's pretty good. But you, you've had enough. Yeah, it's a return to five, six, seven, that quality. Except for the cop and a half stuff, I wasn't that into it. And Jason Momoa doing Joker. Could it be, though, that the fan of the franchise has higher expectations and demands a little bit more and thinks the franchise can be better, whereas the two who don't want to watch it just are like, eh, it's all shit, but this is okay shit. I mean, that is this franchise, though. I think your expectations are too high. I agree. It's like, I don't understand... Again, where is the line for you? What is a good Fast and Furious movie? I agreed with three of the four that you picked out there, but they're all silly. Even five. Let's not overinflate that. That was a silly heist movie. They drag a safe around on the freeway hitting cars with it. Yeah. I mean, there's always absurdity. And so I guess a lot of it has to be, again, feel yourself in the car. Do you want to go on this ride? Because Fast and the Furious is not going to change. It has been this for at least five movies now. And you either want to get in that or you don't. Do you want more? Do you want this to go on forever? I really needed the next one to be the last one. I'm actually kind of crushed (laughs) right now to realize that's two more or three more or however many more Vin Diesel can squeeze out. Your kids are going to be reviewing this when they take over Now Play and just like Little B takes over the franchise. Rita Moreno made it clear that they think they have something that will go on for centuries, but I expect a reboot at some point. Oh, for sure, yeah. And not with this crew. And I thought that that some point was within three years and now I'm hearing no way. In the reboot, will they be stealing Apple TVs? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what they're going to steal. Yeah, I mean, again, will there be cars? You know, like... When you think too far into the future, it's like... Yeah, they're all going to be Teslas and Musk will just shut them down from his office. (laughs) Self-driving, yeah. They even make that joke in this movie, saying that drivers are obsolete. Ames says that to Dom, that cars don't need drivers anymore. You worry for the screenwriter that has to come up with part 15. But yeah, it doesn't feel like in the immediate future, they really are bringing this to a close. It feels like one really elongated goodbye which is just another way of hanging around until you kick them out. Well, let's hope that the studios give in to the Writers Guild demands because I do feel bad for whoever has to write the next one and they deserve whatever they're demanding in order to pick up where this leaves off. That's the whole reason for this writer strike, I think, is they want better residuals for Fast and Furious films. 
You don't think they have any of this worked out? That's just crazy. But I guess it's possible. If they haven't started filming the next one, that's weird. That's the thing. If you're going to end on a cliffhanger like this, you film the movies back to back and you release them a year apart. Right. The fact that they haven't even started filming, they are releasing in two years, that feels not well thought out to me. And again, I wonder, with the box office being cooler, this is not the most highest grossing Fast and Furious. Not opening weekend. They've had movies make a billion dollars, so that's crazy that this doesn't open at 100 million. Well, that's in America. This is getting a Chinese release, and a lot of movies lately haven't, but this has been a very popular franchise in China. Yeah, I could see it doing well internationally for sure. I'm not worried for them. They'll make their bank, no, one way or the other. But I just think in terms of you want to be careful that you do get to the ending, right? You don't want to like have the box office kill this before you have the final Corona toast. They could be in danger of doing that. If they think that they can push this two, three, five more films before they say goodbye, they may be the one that gets canceled. Well, we will find out in two more years what they decide to do. You get a break, Stuart. Vin Diesel is known to talk out of his ass. So if only Vin is saying they're doing 12, I'm not convinced. It's got to be the studio that says 12. And I think they'll base it on the money in 10. Yeah, let me put it this way. If the box office comes in and the receipts aren't as good for all of the money they spent, the next one is the last one. Maybe that's why they haven't written it yet. They want to see how this does to see if they can extend it to more. I mean, Ridley Scott made those kinds of claims about the Alien franchise. Maybe we'll do one more Prometheus or 10. I'm not sure. Well, guess what? None. They're rebooting it. You got to deliver the audience. And we'll see if the audience comes out for this. I'm hearing grumblings. I'm seeing less enthusiasm than before. It's been a long road. In the meantime, let's do something refreshingly different, like a superhero movie. That was a TV movie from the 90s. <laughs> That's right. We have a lot of Weekend of Release shows we're doing this year. So many t we're going to the theaters. But we are not covering the Little Mermaid reboot. So therefore, next week, we are not going to theaters. And instead, we're going to prepare for the new Flash movie, by going to the 1990 television pilot, which was aired as a TV movie. We're going to the living room with our console TVs. <laughs> Big tubes in them. Watch the Batman 89 rip off the Flash. Mm -hmm. We used to do that all the time. I, whenever I get sad about another superhero movie, I just remember how many Lou Ferrigno Hulk movies there were. <laughs> I realize, yeah. Now it's a novelty when we go back and watch what superhero entertainment was prior to the MCU and the DCU. Yeah, this one is with the soap star from 1990. You take a guess on how good it's going to be. Hey, we watched two different Wonder Woman movies before Wonder Woman. We got to give The Flash its due before Flash. And of course, in between the two Flash movies, we have Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, The Boogeyman, the Stephen King release, and Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Yes, and I, as promised, I'm like Vin Diesel, I keep my promises. I'm going to watch all those damn Transformer movies and prep for that. That's cruel and unusual punishment on yourself, Stuart. You are on your own for that one. <laughs> I'm going to be in there being like, no, Jetstream did that in part three. You guys are going to be so damn impressed with me. This is a prequel to all the Bay ones. It's a prequel? It takes place in 94. The World Trade Center is still standing in that trailer. Oh, 
Well, then maybe I don't need to do this. Just watch Bumblebee. (laughs) I'm already rethinking this. Yeah, it's going to be a painful road. But yeah, I think I'll probably watch them. Meanwhile, this Friday, if you are a patron, we are continuing our tour in Vietnam. We did Platoon for Patrons last week. Well, May patrons are getting a double dose of exclusive podcasts. This Friday, the Stanley Kubrick Classic, Full Metal Jacket. If you are a $10 patron on Apple or Spotify or $10 or more on Podbean and Patreon, you will get all of our patron-exclusive shows, including Platoon and Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, that's quite a twofer. I mean, I remember back in the day, it was, you know, one won all the Oscars, one's the one that came six months after and feels like it didn't get the love because of that. We're going to relitigate which one was the seminal Vietnam film, Platoon or Full Metal Jacket. Hope you can join us for it. And we could really use your support. We just posted a YouTube video. Things with Podbean are kind of not going great. If you've ever purchased an individual episode on Podbean, you probably want to check out our YouTube video. It gives instructions. You need to download those pretty fast. Your access to those will be going away. And yeah, our situation with Podbean isn't the greatest right now. So if you could support us through Patreon, Apple, Spotify, or a direct donation for our donation drive, we got some shark movies coming up here pretty soon. And we did review all five Piranha film for our spring donation. It would be a great help. All the details are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And Jacob Stewart, I'll talk to you next week for The Flash, because that's how we roll. Father, thank you for the gathering of friends. Father, we give thanks for all the choices we've made because that's what makes us who we are. Let us forever cherish the loved ones we've lost along the way. And most of all, thank you for fast cars. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. You tell your boss exactly who did this. Tell him there's more coming. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. You gotta get out of here. I ain't running anymore. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find more movie reviews, including Pitch Black, Rambo, Robocop, The Avengers, and hundreds more. You say what? This just went from Mission Impossible to Mission and Freaking Sanity. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You're in. There's always room for family. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Sounds like a whole lot of vaginal activity to me. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. See exclusive videos and interviews on the Now Playing Podcast YouTube channel. You can find the link on our homepage. I'll see you soon, Toretto. Your pockets ain't left. Ours are empty. We hungry. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. 
It's donations from listeners like you that keep now playing on the air. You got the best crew in the world standing right in front of you. Give them a reason to stay. You can give money by clicking the support link at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. You don't realize how much you appreciate something until somebody takes it away. Everybody take a real good look. This is what you call mutual respect. All right, let's clear out. Anybody down for another race? Now Playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. Let's put all this mess back together. That's going to take a while. Then you better get started. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Why me? Because you got the biggest mouth. That's for damn sure. Now Playing is not affiliated with Universal Pictures or the makers or distributors of these films. The film discussed in this podcast is the intellectual property of its copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. You see, I got a problem with authority. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just because you know how I ride doesn't mean you know me. Show me how you drive, I'll show you who you are. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2023. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Money will come and go. We know that. The most important thing in life will always be the people in this room. Right here. Right now. Salute me, familia. To a scene showing things aren't going so good for Dwayne Johnson's career <laughs> as he's somehow been coerced into returning into the Fast and Furious franchise. Biggest shock of the film. Didn't he, like, kidnap some people 20 years ago? This is what I'm reading online. Dwayne Johnson or Hobbs? Yeah, Dwayne Johnson. Like, Disney's cut ties with him. He pulled an Ezra Miller and, and kidnapped people? <laughs> yeah, read up on this. I mean, I'm, I, I don't care enough to find out, but I thought <laughs> I had heard when his wrestling days he had gotten in some criminal abduction activity. This is crazy. <laughs> well, his character of Hobbs is the one who actually put the bullets in Hernan Reyes's head. But he's been a turtle... I think he's done some of those CW superhero stuff. <laughs> I thought you said he's been a turd, and then you finish with the turtle. But I thought you were just calling him a turd. No, I'm not calling him a turd. <laughs> no, he, he's had a very, right now he's very, po I would say more popular than Tom Cruise in the role of Jack Reacher. And they make the appetite, make you wet for it even more. They have this mid-stinger thing with The Rock. I love that you say they make you wet for it even more. I know you meant wet your appetite, but it sounded like, you know, getting excited. Yeah, I, I actually went, I mean, we have Cardi B, so wet in any way that you want to. <laughs> Did you have a WAP during this mid-credit scene? <laughs> Maybe. I had a wet-ass Porsche. Does that work? <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm watching this mid-credit scene. It's a masked man. <laughs> 